All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? Somebody's got to pick it up. I'll pick it up. They're clean. Cuz my hand is clean. Oh yeah, I'm Charmin clean. That's how I know they're clean. I'll pick it up. They're clean. Cuz my hand is clean. Oh yeah, I'm Charmin clean. That's how I know they're clean. My hand is clean. Oh yeah. All right, DJ Nubis. With a, hi a clean hiney. A clean hiney. Running joke. Uh, the other night I got a little bit tipsy. Got a little drunky drunk. Drunky drunk. Started mooning outside my window. Singing, my hiney's clean. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. my god. We do some of the dumbest shit ever. You know what though? We have fun. So, we don't hurt anybody. Nope. Except for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite drunk thing with you, um... My two favorite drunk things with you. First, um, you, this is a long time ago. It was still when you were using your sleep apnea machine. Yeah. And it was me, you, and Jason, and you were drinking, 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 drinking. And we, like, had to push you up the steps and get you into bed because you were so drunk. And then you throw up into your sleep apnea machine. <laughs> Yeah, that was really bad because then you had to spend the rest of the night intaking that shit because it doesn't just go away. Right I know, away. I cleaned it up as best as I could. Um, then I also love the the pot cookie slash drunk day <laughs> because he didn't understand how pot cookies worked and he ate like five. And I'm like, that's really, no, uh-uh, no, no, no. No, no, no. Whoops. And then I love when we were, I, I, we were coming home and I was like, we have to go home. You're going to like fucking die. And he had already been drinking. So he was already like getting a little, but he wasn't drinking too much because he was driving. So we get maybe less than a mile from our house and he's like, it just hit me. Oh my God. Yeah. I thought I was going to die at the stoplight. I'm like, I don't know. You might have to drive. 
I was telling you, I was like, pull over, I'll drive, pull over, I'll drive. So we get home, and then, of course, I, I use and abuse him in bed because I take advantage of my husband when he is, you know, incapacitated. <laughs> the thing is, it was a Sunday, and we both had to work the next day, but he was like, I was so high. There is no way I could go to work. He yeah, was he I, was high for like two days. I woke up and I'm like, oh my god, dude, this is bad. Like I can't stand hardly. It was so bad. He's like, nope. And I was like, dude, I just I can't make it in. I'm like, I was still a little bit high myself, but I didn't eat five. I had one and a half. Yeah, well, because everyone left me unattended with cookies. <laughs> What's the problem? They left me unattended with cookies. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, so like, like it had five and we watched the game at the bar and then she came up and she's like, Well, how many did you have? I was like five. She's like, What? I'm like, we have to leave right now. And he's like, I don't understand. And I was like, Oh my god, like I'm like and at the time I wasn't feeling anything. I'm like, You guys are just crazy. Like this, this shit ain't doing nothing. Like, this shit's all blown, overblown. You're right? blowing us out of proportion. I don't know what the problem is. And then I didn't realize it just takes a slow digest to get through. And then sure mm -hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. So, the more of the story, children, is one pot cookie. If you've never had a pot cookie, start with one. I mean, literally, nowadays, I just go with a half. Because, <laughs> like, it, it's, 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 because, like, We've known people that make them, and they're very potent, so... Yeah, she would make them, and it, it's like, the way she made them, I don't know if it, it's the way that... I have no idea how to bake with pot, but... She said she put them, like, in the butter In the butter, yeah. so she would make, like, this butter concoction and put the, the marijuana in it, and then when she's baking with it, so it kind of, like, spread out through the whole batch. It was amazing. It's not like she just sprinkled some in... It was, so I think she probably did make it really good, too. Right. So that's enough pot talk. <laughs> so, uh, this will be an interesting episode for us because there's a couple of movies we watch, including our retro DVD movie, and it's probably the first time since we've been doing at least the retro DVDs that Neko is probably going to have like a more negative take on what happened mm -hmm. rather than positive. Mm -hmm. But then the other film I showed her, neither one of us has seen it. She wasn't able really crazy about that. However, some of the information she found out about it was actually more interesting than the movie itself. So, well, I feel like too with the the second movie that we watched, um, not our retro DVD movie, which it is kind of a retro movie, but we don't own this movie. Right. At first, I was like. And it really is not a great movie. It's okay. And it got, like, both of these movies that um, we watched got, I think, like, under 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. But I feel like this movie had the potential, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, and apparently there's a whole series, like a whole book series, that I didn't realize how it was tied in. And I'm... You know, I like to read, and Anubis likes to listen, so we sometimes we do these little things where I'll read to him, and he he's way better with me reading to him than him actually sitting down. I like my own personalized audio book. Well, that's, that's kind of <laughs> what it is. I notice, like, with you, reading, you can only keep your attention on reading for so long. Like, you'll read, and you'll read, like, ten pages, and you're done. But if I'm reading it to you, I think because I, like, give you 
voices and, and yeah. little inflections and stuff. So I feel like if I ordered this series, we could probably read it together and it would be fun. Yeah. Uh, Nick also found an article with the top 50 American bands of all time, which I have not really looked at too much. So when we go through, it's going to be a really interesting. Uh, I already saw number 50, so... It'll be interesting to see what uh, they come up with in that. So that's a pretty good topic. And then, of course, Netflix has a new series called Cat People, which we started watching. Of course watching. we did. Yeah. And it, each segment has, you know, a different person involved. And it's, we'll get into that a little bit later. I just, I appreciate it because, you know, there are a lot of cat people in the world. I mean, if you go online, how many funny cat videos are there? Yeah. It's just, like, what it is. Cats are... Well, and it, it kind of goes back to just, like five or ten years ago you know we were big uh what was the grumpy cat like that Aww, grumpy. very very cute cat that mm-hmm. passed away a couple of years ago and little bob yeah little bob you got all these other ones they're they're stars on the internet and so uh but you find that people in these you know facebook groups and whatnot you know they're all very passionate about their animals and cats and these people that are showcasing this series are the same way so we'll talk a little bit about that as well uh, a lot of great music coming your way. Uh, new stuff from Dark Throne, Red Fang. Also got Ravager. Uh, classic stuff from Repulsion, Deicide, uh, Despair, and much, much more. Uh, labels and promotion I've got a lot of stuff for us, including this first block. Got some Vandor from uh, Scarlet Records and Kevin Parallax from Kobar PR. But we're kicking off brand new Rhapsody of Fire. It says, I'll Be Your Hero. Oh, wow. Nightmares and dreams in my past 
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. to say I miss Mr. Gray. I don't know. He's been tied up with this Xbox stuff that uh, he hasn't been online much anymore in the past couple months. So. What happened? Well, he got, he got basically a job working for Xbox to post like uh, gaming reviews and stuff like that because uh, he's testing out Apex something like that off of Oh Xbox. my god! Yeah, so he's been doing a lot of that, but he hasn't really been live... He, he live streams the Switch, but he doesn't do it on his YouTube channel, so really when it comes to like the Mortal Kombat stuff and all that, I haven't seen in a while with that, so... Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to get back to it. I know he originally he was trying to build up his channel for that, but he's been tied up with the Xbox, so, so maybe he's just kind of like progressing beyond the YouTube thing now and sticking with... Uh, what Xbox is doing. So, I mean, good for him in that way. Cause if they're... Just sign up for Twitch then. Well, I have Twitch. I have a Twitch account. Okay. Just, but I don't get on it much. That's the only problem. It's just so much shit we're doing all the time. I know. And then there's so much shit that you just don't have time to get to everything. I always complain about this. Like, Right. Like, I like to try to get us back onto another Samurai thing uh, channel or a segment at some point or even on Mr. Tony or Dad or whatever, but again, it's like you and I just we have this and then we have our work stuff and then we're doing stuff around the house. So the extra time to try to find to do that, and I know that like Samurai has this main group of guys that he does his his shows with that are are very important. Like he's got this big thing coming up that they're streaming live around July late July or something like that for uh, Martial Arts Extravaganza which is going to be hosted by Rick Myers but they're all going to be involved in some That's kind of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to see if I can try and check it out for sure. Um, But we discovered a new Netflix series on uh, Netflix. Yeah, uh huh. uh, Called Mm -hmm. Cat People and... I mean, really it's made for us. It was kind of born out of the whole like because they had one for dogs and you know I guess cat people were like, hey, look, man, you know, dogs are cool and all, but, you know, cats are just as cool. And so we wanted, they pushed Netflix to create one where they brought in some different people uh, who have special things to do with cats. And they, you know, they eat six or seven episodes uh, that are really cool. But, you know, it is one of the things that was described as, you know, cat people explores our fascination fascinating relationship with cats through the lens of some of the most remarkable and surprising cat people in the world uh to find the negative stereotypes which is true of what it means to be a cat person while revealing the fundamental truths of what it means to have deep bonds with these fiercely independent mysterious creatures and that's what i was kind of saying earlier like i um you know at one point we had four cats mm-hmm. i mean and it wasn't like we were like out collecting cats or we consciously we're like we're gonna adopt it we are just suckers for people who you know they come to us and they're like listen um i can't take care of my cat anymore or i'm getting a divorce and i I have nowhere to go and my cat needs a home all these things happen i mean one of our cats we were looking at houses so this is you know 15 years ago um we found the cat's mommy it was a stray 
and our real estate agent was also a cat person and he took the cat home to give it a home and went to see if it was microchipped and, and she wasn't but she was pregnant and I desperately wanted a kitten I've never had a kitten in my life and I mean Abigail really was the only kitten we've ever really adopted I mean we got Abigail when she was six weeks old cute tenacious hissed at me the first thing <laughs> noisy since the day I brought her home we were driving home I picked her up and he he told me no I couldn't have her but I brought her home anyway and we are <laughs> surprise yeah, we already had a cat and Bastis was very independent and very mean and we didn't think he didn't think that she would take to another cat but boy was we were we wrong she thought that Abigail after they got used to each other after about a week Abigail just inserted herself into Bastis's life like she laid on her Bastis cleaned her she thought it was her kitten I think well that and that's what happened was at first Bastis not really having much interaction with other animals like there was one time we were at the apartment when Bastis was there and it's like this little puppy came up to our back door and Bastis, you know, not really being angry or anything, just didn't know how to react she, to She, like, puffed up and went, whoa. Yeah, because the dog was trying to play with her, you know, through the screen door, but she didn't know how to react to that. Now, when Abigail came in, she was just a kitten, like a really small kitten. And so, like, she sees Bastis, and she automatically thinks, oh, mom. My new mommy. Bastis, again, not really knowing what to do. So, for a while, She's, like, backed up, like, so, <laughs> Yeah, so for a while, it was just mainly Bastis trying to figure out what the creature is because Bastisa never had kittens herself I had had her spayed and everything so but I think it probably only took like three or four weeks and finally Bastis was pretty much you know on board but as Abigail started to grew a little bit they would play with each other mainly Abigail playing she with her she just like pounce on her out of nowhere yeah and... but you would find them constantly together like they'd be sleeping together or we had like little brackets uh, beds in the window They'd be up there together with that. Uh, so they did build a bond as like a mother and daughter. Even though they weren't even related. Uh, and then somebody decided to throw a cat out of a car in front of our house. And I was, I told DJ Anubis, I was, we were going to, to my nephew's birthday party. He was little. I mean, this, I mean, Tyler was maybe three, four. And we were going to his birthday party. And I hear this meowing, and I thought it was one of our cats, but I look out front, and there's this... He was a kitten, but he was maybe, like, five months old, so he was a little bit bigger. So I, I scoop him up, and my neighbor, who was nosy as hell, is like, I just... I just seen them! They threw that cat out of a truck, and I stopped them, and I said, you can't do that! So... We figured, all right, we're going to at least keep this cat over the weekend until we can get him to a shelter, but he had fleas, and I gave him a bath, and gave him a flea treatment, and I fed him, and his life was perfect, and we put him, you know, eat what was in the bathroom, we stuck him in the bathroom while we were gone to uh, Tyler's birthday party, and we came back, you know, cleaned him up and everything, and he slept in bed with me, and the next morning, he was just being a rambunctious kitten, but he jumped right on my chest. And then he put his paws on my face and he's like, no, no, Scott, or Anubis is like, no, no, be nice. And he put his paws on my face and he started kissing my face and he knew. He's like, this cat's not going anywhere. <laughs> and he didn't. 
I spent a fortune on him when he got sick. I did everything in the world. It's just something like, you know, when you have an animal, I feel like you owe it to the animal to, to give the most, the best care that you can. And we really do. Like our cat, we only have one right now and she's 18. So that makes her what? A hundred? <laughs> well, it's not just taking care of them. It's like, the love. I knew right away that, you know, I knew from my own experience with cats that they kind of choose you. I never but, had a cat when I was a kid, though. You you had cat. I had one pet. It was my dog. And I had my dog until I was 19, and then I never had another pet. That's it. That's all I had. You, you've had dogs and cats, and, and, and uh, you had ferrets. You, we had a tarantula at one point. Like, for me, as soon as, even though Bastise could be, she would be mean to me in front of him. She'd bite me, smack me. He'd leave. The little bitch would crawl into bed because he would used to get up for work like at 4 a.m. leave. She'd crawl into bed with me and cuddle with me and do the cute little like paw kneading thing and kiss me. I tell him this. He he laughs at me, doesn't believe me because when he gets home, it's fuck mommy. I love my daddy. I could walk by that. She was she was daddy's girl. I would walk by that cat and she would just like attack me. One time she smacked me right in my eyeball with her claw, and I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, because she, she visited you in the bathroom, mm-hmm. and you were, thought it was all love and fun. Until. Then you got mad. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this cat? And then I remember when she... But make she, no mistake, I'm not going to love Bastille. I love her. when Bastille got sick, she was like, she knew the last day that she was at, and she was breaking down and crying and, and i left work early and i came home and we were like cuddling with besties and loving her and she was named after best the egyptian cat goddess so when she when she died we took we noticed something was wrong with her right after we got azrael when he was the one who was thrown out of the vehicle and we had another vet and they were not like as proactive so we noticed she she was a big cat not just fat but she was huge she was very long very big and we noticed she had lost some weight so the vet kind of was just like i think it's just the stress of the the kitten so we kind of brushed it off and said okay and then we were noticing like she's losing more weight and now she's throwing up we went back to that vet and they're throwing up a lot a lot she could literally just eat and then cough it right back up so we went back to the vet and they're like um here we'll give you some antibiotics and we'll give you some medicine for her for eating and then we're like okay well this will help didn't help so you know a little while passes by and anubis is getting mad because he's like there's something wrong and she's not getting better and she's losing weight so then after like three months they decide to to look into you know some diagnostics and they x-rayed her and they're like yeah she has cancer all through her stomach and her intestines and we're like you know what the fuck we could have been helping her a little bit i know granted there may not have been much we could have done a couple of months ago but if we would have seen that there was a problem we could have been giving her better palliative care we could have been like giving her painkillers or helping her you know maybe buy softer food or something easier for her because trust me i've cooked for the cats when they're sick they get you know they'll get some chicken something but no they didn't so that's when we we found our our current vet and they're an actual animal hospital that has like all this technology and we took the x-rays to them and they did some more tests on bastis and they're basically like 
she's living on borrowed time, you know. We will do everything we can to make her comfortable, but you'll know when it's time, and we know. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was a sad moment for sure, but we do love our animals, and the way these episodes play out is pretty much the same way, but they're all different people. Like the first episode, you had this rapper named Moshe, who's actually from Baltimore, Maryland, where we are. Uh, lives out in Portland now. Uh, but he sings raps about cats, and he has like three or four of them that, that he showcases. I think he's got. I think he had at one point. They have five. Maybe, but it's like DJ Ravioli, uh, Black Savage is my I favorite. I love Black Savage. He's funny. He's like just so cool. He sits in the corner and chills out, and then he goes, like Moshe will go over to him and like pet him, and he just like looks at him like yeah. yeah. Very chill cat. Uh, another episode, we had a woman who has the uh, Astro Cats, Acro Cats. The Acro Cats. And she goes out and they do little tricks that she's managed to teach them by treats and stuff like that. And, Much I, like dogs. And just and that's how she got into this because she was an animal behavior specialist. And, you know, she was working with, you know, different things. And she's like, I realized there were no cat trainers and she loved cats. All of her cats, like these acro cats, they're not like these fancy hybrid cats that are bred for training and performance. These are rescue cats that she herself had rescued. And they she makes chicken for them and that's like their quote unquote treat and they know when it's time to practice. She built this gigantic catio. So it's all enclosed and it's outside, but so they can go through all these tunnels and stuff so they're safe and they don't like, you know, because they're kind of in the in the wilderness, just, you know, keep away from predators and stuff. She is completely involved in rescue. So yeah. in her, in the bus when they travel, they also take along the cats that they're, they've rescued and they're taking care of at the time so that while they're doing the acro cats, um, performances, people can go out to the bus and, and meet the kittens or the older cats that they've rescued and they're taking care of and you can adopt from them too. This woman um, also had cancer and she, you know, prevailed through her cancer treatment so that she she's like, I have to live for these cats. So for her, it's like I love that what she's doing isn't so much like because people are like oh you're abusing the animals and there, there is no abuse she clicker trains them and gives them chicken and it's like more like playtime for the cats she yeah, the rock cats mm -hmm. yeah they have a little band and she'll do things like um so it looks like they're singing or playing the instrument she'll put like treats on the instruments or treats on the microphone so they start licking it and one of the cats is a really good climber and jumper, the the tabby cat, remember? He jumped from the ground all the way up onto this really high cat tree and then jumped down from the cat tree onto a stool she was holding and then her assistant had another stool and he jumped over there. That just, like, the woman's entire purpose is the happiness of, of rescuing animals and she's literally playing with these animals like that is her job and she's got some volunteers and some people who have really just jumped on board with her but the idea of the acro cats is i i'm we're gonna go see the acro cats like we're gonna see how close they come to our area and we'll drive and check them out i um probably my favorite episode is the copycat and that's where 
uh, Sachi of Wakaneko, who is from Japan, and she makes these 3D portraits of cats and for people to have. Like It before. literally means, Wakuneko means framed cat. Yeah, so. In Japanese. She, it's all needle felting, and, you know, she takes a lot of time to create these. So, like, when, as Neko had told me at the time, she takes maybe only a few orders per year that she does this, and she'll, you know, it won't be a lot, but she'll create these portraits for these people and it looks literally exactly like their cat whether their cat's still alive or in the past uh, usually they're still alive at the time she makes them because she comes over and she photographs them and whatever but i'm pretty certain that she could also do them just off other photos she um i when i went to her website it looks like she opens it up once a year in february and she is expensive but she does that because she says each portrait takes months to yeah. do. And she is very careful where she goes and selects the colors. And the eyes that she does, she hand paints them into this little glass orb. And they look very realistic. And it's amazing. So in the episode, there was, was a couple. They had this older Russian blue cat. And they reached out to her and said, we, um, we really would like to immortalize our cat because she is 10 and we love her it took several months for her to finish the portrait but what i really enjoyed was you could see her process she's a very good artist a sketch artist so she would sketch the cat then she would plan out what she's doing and she would explain, you know, in order for me to get something to look realistic, you just can't buy gray felt. You have to buy multiple colors of gray. And that's how you get the actual um, depth of the color of the coat. So she's very, very meticulous. And at the end, when she presents it to the couple, they're crying and they're like this is this is beautiful and she's also very into supporting her uh, local you know artists this is in japan but like her local craftsmen her the the frames that she uses is somebody who hand makes the frames and she goes to local felt stores and she's so all in all you just see she how many cats she had two i think so she had two cats herself and the cats are always trying to help her while she's working or whatever and um you find that she's just she's adorable and just so so talented amazing and she gets up almost as worked up as they do when she finally presents it to the, the customer mm -hmm. that, that was yes so that's sort of like the payoff for her because she actually was initially uh trying to have a career in photography and that wasn't really going the way that she thought it might. So then she started doing uh, this stuff and using social media. And it kind of just took off for her at that point. But, uh, yeah, the, the final work that she does for this stuff is so amazing. Like, she takes a lot of care in the colors, uh, making sure it matches the cat. Like, she takes a little bit of fur that they give her uh, to kind of integrate it with the needle. Uh, felt that she puts in there. She does a lot of work with the eye, the glass eyes. Um, the one thing I really like too about her, I know we're just like gushing over her, but it's just something about how personal she takes that 
everything and that's why she only opens up so because she doesn't want it to be like this commercially produced thing where she doesn't because she she because it'll lose it'll lose the touch impact of what it really means to people like if you become just a a corporate thing then it's just you're it's almost like it's like trying to get an autograph from your favorite star and then have just someone else do the autograph for her and then send it to you that's basically what it's kind of it would be like uh she does this all herself there is no mass producing it it, it isn't like a group of people that do this it's her work uh her time and effort put into it um it's very detailed and uh it's just it's really incredible like i was telling that that's like i really wanted to try to do something like that for her with azzy because we you know other than pictures we have and of course his ashes there isn't much else we have from that would be kind of cool to have something like that for her to have but you know again she's all the way across the ocean so i'm not sure how feasible something like that would be not to mention uh the people that she selects is not like a first come first serve she mm -mm. just chooses you have to go in and it's almost like an auction or a lottery mm -hmm. and she she admits it's not cheap and she's okay with that she said i can only take on like seven clients or something yeah so th this is the price and then i will select based on you know how many people have put in their names etc yep Nevertheless, it's very worth it. Check it out. It's on Netflix. It's called Cat People. It's only about six episodes, but each one's different. Each one is heartfelt. Mm -hmm. Each one has their own little bit of story and what they do. And it's a lot of fun if you like cats. All I right. like cats? Yeah, so let's get back into our music. Uh, next block, all new stuff. Soul Rot, uh, Blood Beat, which is one of my favorite records of the year. Uh, we're going to kick out a brand new Requiem. This is called Mind Rape.
Your Bloodfield and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, we're back. We are back, DJ Neko. And DJ Nubis. And we'll be talking about the first movie we reviewed and watched. This is not the retro DVD film. This is something that we saw on Shudder? Uh, this was on Tubi. We I were. thought it was coming to Shudder because initially we were watching Joe Bob do his thing and they have, between the movies he does they have like trailers for stuff that's coming on uh, Shudder in the next you know few weeks or whatever and one of them was a movie I watched not too long ago but it wasn't as good as I thought it might be and then the other trailer was for this 1997 film called uh, Perdita Durango or uh, Dance with the Devil is the other name that it has. And surprisingly at the time when it was being shown, I thought it was like a more recent film. I'm like going, wow, Rosie Perez looks really good. It's uh, from 99. <laughs> right. So it, it's a bit older, uh, but it's also got uh, Javier Bardem in it. And of course, uh, James Gandolfini, if you've known him from Sopranos, uh, he's in that film as well. Basically, uh, Perez plays Perdita Durango, who has gone to Mexico to spread her ashes of her sister, and she ends up meeting this drug dealer, uh, Romeo Dolorosa, played by Javier Bardem, and uh, together they end up going, and initially he's trying to make, he robbed a bank to try to pay off a, a debt that he had, and... Perdita, who is at this point just looking for excitement in her life, really decides that she wants Romeo to, because Romeo also has this side gig where he plays like this priest, and he it's yeah, all, he's he's doing like these uh, human sacrifice like, but he uses like cadavers initially, and it's almost like uh, voodoo type shit that he's doing. Uh, so she gets the idea that she, you know they need to get some live bait to do this, and so they end up kidnapping a couple of teens at one point, uh, played by um, I think it's uh, I can't remember her names, but anyway, a girl and a boy they're dating and they take them and they kidnap them and their whole plan is to sacrifice them but at the same time they both end up raping them so like Perdita's raping the boy and uh, Romeo's raping the girl but they almost like pit the the young couple against each other because at some point like it's kind of funny I don't know if like in life in general but the young boy was a virgin and so or he wasn't a virgin, but he basically, when Perdita is like, you know, squatting on him and fucking him or whatever, uh, he's enjoying it, clearly. Uh, and then sooner or later, as Romeo's raping the girl, she ends up starting to like it. And the young boy sees what's going on there, and so there's like this tension between the young couple at that point, because he's thinking... He's well, like, oh yeah, you liked it. Yeah, you know, you weren't really fighting him off or anything. Uh, but... Obviously, as time goes on, like, you know, they get ready to sacrifice. And like, who was it they were going to sacrifice? The girl or the boy? I can't remember which one they initially settled on. I think they voted. 
yeah, well, yeah, it came to like a, a standoff because Perdita started interliking the young man Dwayne uh, because, you know, they're, they're nice kids. And like, I think because they had ridden together so long before they even got to this point where the sacrifice was supposed to happen, they kind of just grew to like these kids. So, but obviously, Romeo liked the girl and Perdita liked the young man. So when it came to voting times, you know, the girl's like, yeah, I'm voting for Dwayne to be sacrificed. And then so was Romeo saying the same thing. But then Perdita and Dwayne were like, no, no, we're going to sacrifice her. And then they get mad at each other. So they're at a crossroads. She's like, what the fuck? Right. So it's just this crossroads of like, you know, who's going to have, what's going to happen. In the midst of it, I think they were going to kill. I think think it was the the guy. Yeah, they were going to kill the guy. And, but then, um, James Gandolfini, who plays this cop, is chasing these, these couple down, because he, he understands who Romeo is, and he, they, you know, actually what ends up happening is, this former colleague of Romeo's, who helped do the bank heist, uh, Romeo, like, ran out on him and took the money. So he found a way to chase Romeo down, and came in and started shooting up the place, and was set to kill Romeo and whatnot, but he ends up dying, and they get away. Uh, the kids sort of helped them in some ways. So they all get in their vehicle, and they're gone again. Uh, and James Gandolfini is still trying to chase them down, but at some point, you know, they end up going to Catalina, who's the guy that uh, Romeo owes the money to. And again, you know, Romeo takes the girl as like I guess was supposed to be a trade-in along with the money he had to try to settle his debt but he really had other intentions of just killing Catalina because he was being double-crossed they were actually taking his rig uh, full of baby uteruses fetuses fetuses to uh, uteruses baby fetuses to uh, Catalina and I don't know what the fuck they were going to do with them I don't think they really explained any of that but it was supposed to be going to a cosmetics company. Oh uh, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know any cosmetics companies that use baby fetuses, so uh anyway, uh the plan was because of all the issues with the cops chasing them and getting in the way and they're being late and this was actually Romo's first job with Catalina who was set up by his cousin. So uh Catalina was planning on killing uh Romeo via his cousin was going to do the job for him and uh Romeo caught wind of that so he was planning on it but he went in with the girl and they you know killing Catalina and getting out of there and shit just really went south from there as in the end um both uh when the cousin kills was it the cousin that killed he killed the cousin because the cousin teamed up with that drug dealer, right? Who? And he was supposed to kill, uh, what's who, his face? Who shot Romeo, though? I, I can't remember who shot Romeo. This just shows you how bad this movie is. Like, it, it makes, It's been a while. It's been a few days since we've seen it. Yeah, but it's so. not a good movie. So when you can't remember what? something you saw four days ago, this just proves my point, is it's not a good movie. We, um, what I learned about Perdita Durango is that it's part of the the Wild at Heart series. And that was what was really kind of intriguing to me. 
But go ahead, finish the synopsis. Okay, no, it was the cousin that shot Romeo on the back. Because Romeo didn't want to see him face to face. He was pissed off. He could have killed the cousin. He didn't. He turned around and started walking away. Uh, Reggie, who was the cousin, shot Romeo on the back. And then Perdita proceeded to kill Reggie. Because uh, she was initially supposed to be left behind to watch the kids who she let go. Um, well, yeah. I, thought they, I thought they escaped. No, she let him go. She let him go. She decided she didn't want to kill him. And that they'd already dealt with enough bullshit at that point. Because uh, she was pretty to realize that she cared about Romeo more than she thought. So uh, she didn't. She knew that Romeo would be in danger if she didn't go and try to help him. Which didn't help her anyway. But uh, basically this movie was directed by Alex de la Galicia who also did uh, Day of the Beast uh, which I have not seen that one but people do talk about it uh, I'll let Neko talk about the writer in a minute but the movie itself the reason why it caught my attention initially through the trailer was that it has this very grindhouse feel about it because of the way it's shot um, but it's not well executed that's the problem well like, it, 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 it tries to do the stuff that you would normally find in a grindhouse film and you say to yourself, okay, well, the 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 vibe is there, the shots are there, the sex and violence is kind of there, but it doesn't really push the envelope like natural grindhouse movies do. So it's like Alex kind of held himself back from doing his own thing. Now, granted, you're making films, sometimes you're not really given the blessing of the industry to go and make these films, because like, you have to get through the the NPR and all that, so the rating systems, so I don't know if he had issues with that or he just wanted to make sure that he didn't make it as nasty as it could be, but that's the reality, is like, apparently the Spanish vision version of this which runs like 10 minutes longer, features more sex and violence but I don't know how much of that really is um but anyway, uh, that was the thing that sort of gravitated me toward, and I thought that we might enjoy it. Because, I mean, look, uh, Rosie and Javier weren't bad. The acting wasn't really bad, per se. It's just probably a bad script, really. And as I said, it, it, it tried to go down that scary road of like, oh, yeah, we're going to be doing this for shock value with the sex and the gore. But it never really went beyond that. You did see a few scenes with. Uh, Romeo chopping up cadavers for his little sacrifice shit, but even then it was kind of tame compared to some of the stuff that we've seen before. Mm -hmm. um, but the most interesting thing about the film that I found out through NECA was who actually wrote this was Barry Gifford. Now I'll let you uh, take over the shit that you had found out about that, because that kind of surprised me when she told me what else he had written. So, the movie Wild at Heart is based on the Sailor and Lula books. And very and we're re referencing the David the movie. Lynch film, yeah. And when we when I think I haven't seen the movie in a long time, so I don't even have very good, you know, like a good frame of reference for it, but I remember it being a lot better than Perdita Durango. So I feel like Barry Gifford it's not his writing because I was if you go online and you just like Google Perdita Durango book, you can read the book and it is it follows a lot of the similar story that 
of what the movie, but the whoever put it to screen did not really give it its justice. Like Wild at Heart, people love that movie. I mean, yeah, I don't know if Barry's like the sole writer of Wild at Heart, but like in Perdita, he is. Okay, so in he Perdita, wrote the he wrote the book Sailor and Lula, and it's a whole series. And Perdita Durango falls in. I don't know where Sailor uh, Sailor and Lula fall into Perdita Durango, but it's in within the Sailor and Lula series of books. So possibly Sailor and Lula kind of go to Mexico or something, or, or show up at as like guest stars in the books. What I'm just finding though is like his writing is really great and he kind of was at his own little impasse. He was he was in the hospital and he was sick and he couldn't do anything so he just started writing and getting all of this out. You you look at Wild at Heart and it's great. You look at Perdita Durango and it's got like twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, what? Okay. What's wrong? What well, are you, you on you about? Tip, when you tip me off about the fact that it plays a part in the Wild at Heart series, mm -hmm. um, there is a point in Wild at Heart where Sailor heads to Big Tuna, Texas, where he contacts an old friend, Perdita Durango. Okay. I think that might be being played by Isabella Rosalini, I think, in the film. Uh, I'm not sure. I have to go back. I haven't seen the film in a while. Uh, I do own it on VHS, but I need it on DVD. But uh, that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I started thinking, well, okay, maybe Wild Heart movie actually has those characters in it somehow, and clearly it has one of them, at least. Um, I don't see any mention of Romeo, so I'm, I'm not sure. He's I think Romeo was part of Perdita Durango's own personal story, and that's kind of how that book became a, a spinoff right. of the Sailor and Lula story. So that's um, pretty cool. So I, I feel like if this movie got a better screenplay, I feel like they were just trying to... Yeah, you almost think to yourself that, man, maybe if, since Lynch had already done Wild Heart, maybe he should have been mm -hmm. helmed to do this particular mm -hmm. film. Uh, but, yeah, you know, uh, that, it's still kind of a cool tie-in. Um, not something you would expect normally. Uh, it could have been so much better than it was. Uh, like, again, I thought that Perez and Barton were pretty good acting-wise. It just, when you're kind of given, like, not a very good script to work with or it wasn't edited well, or if you didn't even... Like, it wasn't even as crazy as Wild Heart is. Wild Heart has this very crazy and surreal journey like it's almost like a mind trip uh Perdita Durango wasn't like that you would expect it to be kind of like that but it wasn't so it kind of fell there of that I mean I I don't know if I had to rate it I'm not gonna rate it first you rate what would you rate out of 10 like just your three three yeah that's about where I am with that too so we're about the same with that it's not something I don't think either ones really want to go back to um but it was nice to check it but out. But see, the problem is, is like, I feel like it, it could... You know how we talk about movie remakes? I would want this to be remade better. Right. Yeah. I agree. Like, it... It has the potential to be better. Because it is an interesting topic as far as the plot, but... Uh, you know, I, again, you know, this director, you know, he's not, like, any big-time guy, so... Uh, I know some people love his work, but it's just this came very short of what we were expecting. 
uh, judging by the trailer, but certainly worth a one-time checkout, but I don't think you're going to leave it any different than we were in terms of how good it was. Um, but now we definitely have to revisit Waterheart because I'm very curious about how that character is uh, are portrayed in the film again because it, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. And plus, like I said earlier, I would like, because it, it, they're, they're short novels and they all kind of like fall into each other so I would really like us to read the novel together and I we might appreciate the movie more just because there has only been I think one time in my life where I'll say one and a half times in my life where the book was not as good as the movie and that for me is Silver Linings Playbook I well there was another one you said or did you say it was, the book was not as good as the movie? The book is not as good as the movie. Okay. The changes they made... The last one you said was the book was better than the movie was I, P.S. I Love You or something. Yeah, P.S. I Love You, the book is way better than the movie. The movie is campy and it, it doesn't... No. <laughs> but the movie of Silver Linings Playbook is way better than the book. I feel like the changes and the edits that they made made it, made it better. Um... You know, Jennifer Lawrence's character in the book is... I mean, she's kind of mean in the movie, but she's also... You see her be vulnerable, and she's really dealing with, you know, her husband dying and everything. In the book, she's kind of a bully. And she's a little bit mean, and she she's... It's just not the same. Also, the, the book-slash-movie In Her Shoes... The movie is very, very good. The book is okay, and there are some extras in there that I'm like, oh, this is a nice touch. But I feel like, again, what they took from the book and made it into the movie is better than the entirety of the book. And it doesn't happen to me that often. So I'm wondering, because everybody always say, oh, the book is better than the movie. I'm wondering if we'll appreciate this movie more because as we were watching it, I was kind of trying to get some backstory on Perdita Durango. And, um, you know, when I discovered it was it was part of the Sailor and Lula series, I, I was thinking, you know, maybe because I was kind of reading excerpts from the book itself. And it's almost a lot of things are word for word, like the the dialogue and everything is is very much word for word. And I'm like, well, maybe it's just the execution of the material. Because sometimes that, that happens. And we, we talk, again, we talk about this with our, um, you know, should things be remade? But you see plays and musicals and live stage shows, they get remade all the time because it, they're just live. There are days when a show is better or worse. So yeah, I was right. Isabella and Rosalind did play Perdita Durango and Wild at Heart. So, all right. Well, then we're going to have to explore Wild at Heart. We're going to have to explore the book. We'll have, like, you know, reading corner once or twice a week where we sit and read and, and discuss. And I'll do all the voices for you and you'll you'll enjoy it. Um, <laughs> Forcefully. Well, we did that to get you through a couple of books. And one time... This was actually so sweet. I, I know you, I know you guys don't want to hear so sweet stories about DJ Anubis because he's a tough motherfucker. But um, 
I have a lot of my old college literature books and we have this really big like Edgar Allan Poe anthology book and it was around Halloween time and we were reading like short scary poems and short uh, scary stories to each other while we were in bed and it was one of the most romantic and we should we should go back to that <laughs> be romantic anyhow back into the our headless music headless horseman remember yeah the I know sleepy horror horror oh. sleepy horror <laughs> on our next block mm -hmm. brand new stuff from Fragment Soul provided by Angel PR Brand new stuff from Red Fang, and here's some brand new Dark Throne, his master's voice.
Yeah.
Too much. 
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Jumping to our rock block. That's right, the rock block. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say so. This week for my pick of the week, I picked up. I Anubis was always like, "You're not picking anything from the '80s." So I can promise you, my rock block is from the '80s this week. <laughs> She's harping in on the '80s thing because I was complaining. Well, the '70s and the '90s are just like deep in my heart. I like the '80s, but like. You know, so much good stuff in the 80s. You and I were watching that thing about disco the other day, and I'm like, I wish I was my mother's age. Like, I wish I was there. <laughs> uh, got some classic stuff from Myth, Tapping the Vein in here. New stuff from Paul Gilbert, as well as stuff from Against PR and Hard Life Promotions. And speaking of which, kicking it off here is Arshenic with Bloodsucker. Hope to see you soon.
hands of lay truly alone disgusted with everything in sight I hate things I've loved
this is Jessica from Factory of Dreams. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio.
classic stuff from Myth. Let me hear the thunder. Thunder! Kachiga! Kachiga! <laughs> Alright, so we're back. We're back! And now Neko's gonna give a taste of her pick of the week. So. Which I do have a side story to that once she's gone. Well, all I'm that. probably gonna give the side story because it's one of the. My side story? Yeah, it's one of the reasons I love the. Oh, okay. The song so much. I mean. Anubis was telling me that he saw this band and when the video was playing for this actual song it was the concert where he was so they recorded it so it just kind of like what did you say McNichols Arena mm-hmm. yeah so it was Denver at, Colorado so it was at McNichols Arena and 1987 oh yeah <laughs> and this is just like you know, classic white girl party it up kind of song. So every time, you know, it comes on when you're at a party or out, you know, at a bar, you know, all the old white ladies. Or commercials. Or commercial. But like all the old white ladies like me, we just go, oh my God, this is my jam. We go out and dance and, and have a really good time. I, um, I love when Anubis tells me these types of stories though, because you know, this is a song that I don't think anybody dislikes at all, but... I was getting ready to say that this song has, like, surpassed its, its time. Like, as you said, when you go into bars now, like, women, doesn't matter what age group, this song comes on, they're all singing it. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's just one of those anthems that gets everybody on board and you know look Def Leppard has been one of those bands that well they say they're the perfect uh stripping band like all the all the Def Leppard songs but they but they've done so much in their career especially early on they were a little bit more of the hard rock heavy metal stuff and then they you know really Hysteria despite its success was like so geared towards like the mainstream that you know and it was still rock but it, it was really great but it was way different than anything they had done. And, of course, that, this is all following Rick Allen's accident mm-hmm. where he lost his arm and everything. So we never knew they were even come out with another record. So this record and... But they remember, they were like, they were going to stop. Yeah. They were like, this is our band and we're going to stop. Like, we might go on and do other things, but this project is going to stop because this is our this is us. But Rick built his own kit, found a way to play, and you know, they the rest is history, as they say, just they made a really, really great record and but you know, it's one of those records that stood above everything else they had, not just in sales, but uh as we said, the music itself, like this particular song, is one of those ones that just everybody, even in modern day, you can ask get on a seventeen-year-old mm-hmm. right now, and they would know this song. You can ask an eighty-year-old, and they would know this song, and that's kind of tough to do. Like it's very tough to do. I mean, I don't know a lot of the new stuff that's out, um, mainly because I guess it's just not my taste, and. I try, because there are some artists that I've, you know, over the years, like I was saying with Amy Winehouse, I've really, really, like, loved her, and, but you gotta think how long ago that's been since she's even passed away. So some of the newer stuff that kids are listening to, I, um, I try because I really want to be cool, but I'm not cool, so 
But when you have a band like this and a song like this where I would I could play this and I'm sure my 11-year-old niece would um, recognize the song and my mom, who is 63, she also would recognize this song because it's it's just like an anthem, you know? So for my pick of the week, honestly, the real reason I picked it is because I... Because I kept bugging her. <laughs> well, I, I, I threw in some 80s songs, so I'm sure he's going to get a couple of them in the next couple of weeks. But my, my pick is mainly because... I, I love the personal touch that Anubis gave me when he's like, you know, when this was being, the, the video was being filmed, I was at the concert. So anytime we see the video, I just joke with him and I'm like, there, I see you right there. There you are. Yeah, no, I was in a way back. You're not seeing me anyway. <laughs> but it was a really fun time because I remember it was really kind of my first experience where a band would stop and say, yeah, we're going to play this, and we're actually filming. My, now, granted, this the video for this... The video is, gets edited, but... Well, the video for this, as well as Armageddon, both were filmed the same night, but they were also taking parts from other shows and doing the same thing. So, But the fun thing was is that they were like, yeah, we're going to be making a video out of this, and we're like, the crowd just goes nuts. Like, it's, you know, it's a big deal for us back then. And... Uh, I feel like the music video art is not what it used to be. I mean... Well, they don't really do... I mean, most of the videos we see now are straight to YouTube, which is fine because bands now have the ability just to make whatever they want. They don't have to worry about MTV actually okay. Yeah, but don't you remember when it's like a premiere video? Oh, yeah. Well, it that was, was like big well, shit. That was a fun thing about MTV, but the problem is MTV lost their way. Like, They're more like a reality show channel. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got... VH1 doing their thing. I mean, you still see videos here and there, but now it's all catered to the hip-hop and other stuff. And you don't get to see a lot of the classic stuff much anymore. And The amount of money that Michael Jackson used to spend on making... I mean, look at Thriller, number Thriller one. Thriller was amazing. But his black or, black or White video was another one where he, he spent... He always made his videos, um, especially Beat It, you know, like all of his bigger music videos he turned into little mini movies and um you know i was also thinking too like the beastie boys remember um when sabotage came out like people were like this is like a fucking movie but i i and intergalactic too they they kind of made it into like a little uh mini movie you just don't really see that anymore um and I don't know if it's just music videos don't mean what they used to, and it probably is, because for us... Well, they do, and I, I, they do, but they do from a much smaller scale. Like like I said, when you see something from, like, Enslaved or Cattle Corps or whatever, when they put these videos on YouTube, like, the, the diehard fan bases, the underground, we all see this, and we're like, oh, this is great. Because uh, they're debuting these videos as well as their new singles or whatever they're putting out. And that's all great. But, you know, the thing was, as you mentioned, like going back to the 80s or early 90s, when you would see this on MTV, it was a big, big deal. Like, Everybody would sit their asses down like it's 8 o'clock. I would come home from school, immediately go, 
wait for the top of the hour because I knew that's when they were playing this shit at the first and then you just got hyped like you know uh, I remember seeing like when Rad or Motley Crue or Van Halen were releasing new videos I was excited like it was just great shit back then uh, we don't have that now now it's just like okay someone posted on YouTube awesome let's go check it out well also like nowadays kids can just open their Spotify and it's whatever they feel like listening to. We had to have, like, physical media. We had to have a tape, a CD. I even had a car that had a radio and nothing else. So now, you know, music, I guess, is just so easily come by. Like, it's just there. And I... It's a different world than it, it was is, 30 seconds ago. It, it really is. <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking about my first vehicle. It had no tape player. It had no CD player. And then I remember my my alternator broke. And it fried out my radio. So, and this is in the 89 Dodge Omni. So my dad, when he repaired the alternator, he also put in a CD player and you would have thought that you were giving me like I'm like holy shit this is game changing I bought one of those CD visors I'm popping in the CDs remember when you bought your 2002 Focus and this was um, kind of new technology but it was a CD player but it also read MP3s so he was like super stoked because he could just literally put a bunch of mp3s on a cd instead of like changing it to a, an audio file and yeah. i mean a cd would hold hundreds of mp3s and he's like this is the best thing ever and so the technology like right now our, both of our vehicles have usb drives so you can just put in a thumb drive and you know how big thumb drives are now you can have thousands upon thousands of songs available it has bluetooth so if i want to stream something i literally can put eight thousand songs on, and, and more on my thumbnail like i have almost eight thousand songs on there right now so pop it in when i go to work and back and forth and whenever we drive out well next weekend we're going to be taking a road trip so we got three hours of music that we can just we're taking are we taking the jeep taking the jeep, jeep? probably Probably, but we'll see. Yeah, anyway. Can I drive? Yeah, it's your car. It's my Jeep. Did we talk about me getting a Jeep? Yeah, we did. Alright, just making sure. So, let's get back to Neko's Pick of the Week. I picked this week Def Leppard. Pour some sugar on me. Sugar ramen. Yeah, pour some sugar ramen. <laughs> but I, I love this song, and I know you do too, and we both love Def Leppard. Um, but this is... Like it, you know how we always kind of describe like the vibe of the 80s or the vibe of the 70s, 60s. This gives you like that 80s vibe. It's it's awesome. Yep. Here we go. Rolling. Rolling, rolling. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow and we will break new ground. 
Victoria Jungle. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, Victoria Jungle. Let's welcome. DJ Neko's pick of the week. Inside, walk this way, you and me, babe. Yeah! 
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you DJ Nibis. He's had two beers, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm getting ready to have a third. Yeah. Kick it up a notch. So, Neko brought to my attention an article. Mm-hmm. He always tells me I need to bring more to, yeah, to the show. Do some work. So I did some work. Get in. Get involved. I'm involved. Don't need to go Lewis Lit on your ass. She just got lit up. Just got lit up. Oh my god. Alright, so she brought an article from ultimateclassicrock.com with the top 50 American bands of all time. And I tell you, I got problems with this list. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I think Neko's going to agree with me on a few things because I have my own little uh, bands that I feel like should have been in the list that weren't. And she probably will agree or disagree with me on that. But let's get right to it. Number 50. And I'm not going to spend time on each band, but uh, we're going to go through and then I'll stop. You're going to say some of your notables and, and disnotables? Right. Uh, number 50, Foo Fighters. Uh, at this number, I don't care. Like, they are, you know... I feel like girl. they should be higher, though, than some of the other bands that are on this list. because. The oh, well, yeah. As far as, like, the rankings, like, there's a lot of, like, weird things that I just I can't get my head around like part of my problem is the one thing I appreciate about the list it, it's much like our rock block it, it's all over the place you've got some punk rock in there you've got alternative rock in there you've got hard rock in there classic rock in there so they're not they're not limiting the scope to one particular genre however uh, as we go through the list I know there's some bands I'm going to say well good band but do they really belong and obviously you brought up the fact that some are ranked higher than others it's subjective i'm sure but uh we'll go through it like as far as this particular band it doesn't really bother me 50 okay great i can find 49 bands that are probably much higher than this mm -hmm. all right so number 49 was the flame lips i don't know much about them i'm not going to waste a lot of time on it it's okay. I, I don't know much about it. I do know who they are. I just don't, never sat there and listened to them. 48, again, Captain Beefheart and his magic band. Don't <laughs> even care. Yeah. Uh, 47, this I kind of felt like should have been a higher band. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots. Um, it, it's one of these things, like, when it comes to alternative rock, there's some other rock bands from the same era that are in there, but... A little bit higher like we'll talk about that when we get to them this is one of those things where i said where like i agree with you maybe they should they should be higher high, a little bit higher 46 red hot chili peppers needs to go higher 45 bon jovi um that's a good spot for bon jovi 
Yeah, uh, well, you know, maybe a little bit higher. Uh, and I'm just basing this off their second and third record. Um, you know, uh, 78 Degrees, Fahrenheit, and Slippery When Wet. Those are really big records for them. Um, I don't know if they're really... But I also think when they're putting this list together, they're thinking of, like, in the influence on... Well, that, we're going to get to that because that's... I have an issue with one of them. It, it, but it's, I'm not sure what their criteria was. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to sit there and say, okay, wrong or right. But once we get this... There's one band in particular that I'm going to talk about. That's okay. That's the issue. 44, Pixies, don't know much about it. I know people talk about them a lot. Um, 43, Jefferson Airplane. Needs to be a lot higher. <laughs> a lot higher. A lot higher. 42, definitely got to be higher. Boston. Mm -hmm. uh, Wait, Journey, 41. Needs to be higher. higher. 40, Cheap Trick, higher. Higher. Uh, 39, Doobie Brothers. Okay, I can, I can see this uh, being down this way. I, I do too, and the thing... Um, what I like about the Doobie Brothers is kind of like what I say I like about Chicago is 70s Doobie Brothers is not the same as 80s right. Doobie Brothers. Like, it, it, I enjoy when a band can reinvent themselves, but still be really good. Right. Like, and the one thing, this is so dumb, but... <laughs> My, I, I mean, I love like um, Black Water, and I and, love Black Water. and Jesus, Jesus is just alright. So, yeah, that's a big like seventies. It sounds bluegrassy, but then when you get to What a Fool Believes, like that goes into the yacht rock category, and there is a whole channel on Sirius that is dedicated to Yacht Rock and it's 90% Michael McDonald like yeah. his solo stuff and older dude like the older I thought that was who that was mm -hmm. yeah, the keyboardist mm -hmm. so I I have such a, a soft spot for the Doobie Brothers because I mean like fucking Yacht Rock Hall and Oates you know anyway go ahead next 38 Blondie higher much higher not only because they're amazing and Debbie Harry is fantastic and she's still rocking it out at what 76 but the influence that they had on just subculture and life and on top of that she is really credited for kind of like jumping into the whole hip-hop mainstream era she did her own little uh the song rapture, rapture. Yeah. so they i feel like if you're gonna give like all these accolades and you're going to put her at 38 as an you know the most uh top 50 american bands and whatever i just for influencing bands for being you know at the ground level like playing at cbgb's and for being the type of band that you know well i'm gonna make a point when we get to one particular band but at the moment i don't have a problem with them being listed here because I guess you can't have everybody in the top ten. Right. You know? it, it, that's what makes it tough. But, uh, but I feel but like... But considered, compared to some of the other bands we're going to see in this list, they should be higher mm -hmm. than that. Uh, 37, Frank Zappa. Don't really listen to his stuff. I know who he is. I uh, don't care. This is fine. I'm not going to argue one way or the other. 36, Motley Crue. I would say higher, but again, I... I 
you know, I, if I guess we are it, going purely on music, thirty six, thirty five is is okay. But if you think about Motley Crue's influence in the scene, and you know when they started playing, it was it was kind of crazy. Like you you see how they just kind of pop out, but now everybody is so intrigued by their touring. So you see all these memoirs and the the I guess autobiographical. Well, they're definitely one of those bands from the '80s. Aside from Van Halen, that stood out, mm-hmm. like you know, and you know, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they were higher. But again, like I could go through about fifty fucking '80s bands, and some would probably be a little higher than them. But well, I mean, see, the thing is though, like them as people are almost more interesting as <laughs> them as bands. Like you got Tommy Lee and, and and Pamela Anderson Lee's sex tape. Yeah, you've got like. Yeah, there's who, a, there's who, a lot who, of history there. Was it was it Tommy Lee's journal that you read? Oh no, Nikki Six. Nikki Six. So the, the heroin diaries. Yeah. So you have all these things that are out there. Their touring life, their personal lives, are so interesting that you almost are drawn to their music because you're like, dude, Tommy Lee driving the boat with his dick and having sex with with Pamela Anderson then in a couple of years ago they did that it was a movie but it was autobiographical and it was super good 35 Santana I know who he is don't listen to a lot of his music I know he's very well respected so I don't have a problem at 35 35 is good for him he has crossed over with many different artists he's an amazing guitarist and he doesn't just like he's the type of artist who is like I'm gonna play with um I don't know anybody like rob thomas you know remember from matchbox 20 um and even now like he'll just play right. if you go on youtube and you just google Santa or youtube santana he is like a nice session artist number 34 pearl jam i thought they should have been lower oh i think 34 is good for them because i mean it's not breaking me or anything but again once i start getting into some of these other bands that i'm thinking of uh, they would be lower on my list. Uh, just, very good band. Ten is like one of the best albums ever. Uh, definitely, they're influential to the the grunge and alternative rock scene at the time. Uh, but uh, again, once I start breaking into my own list, it's gonna be further down that. Thirty three, Chicago. I think that's a good spot for them. Yeah. Uh, and again, same thing with the Doobie Brothers. We watched that documentary on Chicago and always have loved Chicago. I'm a big, big, this is probably why I like ska so much. I like bands. So when we were watching that movie on, or that doc on disco and they're talking about like Cool and the Gang, I like horns. I like when you have a band that has 12 people. You have an entire you know, group of people. And then again in that, we should talk about that doc next next time, uh, that they were talking about uh, Barry White. Yeah. He has an entire orchestra on stage. He's not like synthesizing his music or anything. It is Barry White, and I forgot what the name of his orchestra is. Stuff like that, just two thumbs up. Like, I love it. 32. I'm a little surprised about this one. Uh, what do you, what's your reason? Daryl Hall and John Oates. 
Uh, I just I don't think they're very memorable in terms of people thinking of them. Oh, I I disagree. I was a kid and I no, no, remember no. them. I like the music. That's not the issue. The, the issue is they're yacht rock but royalty. If you, but if you talk about a band that you think of pop top of your head, Blondie or Daryl Hall and John Oates, you're gonna think Blondie first. Every I, single yeah, time. I think Blondie should be higher than Hall and Oates. So I just I don't know if they but they really to me they only had maybe a couple of good records I don't know if it's not me trying to shortchange them they'd be a top hundred group for mm-hmm. sure I just don't know if they're a top fifty thirty one Temptations no problem no problem at all uh, and this is one of the things like they do go across different borders here so that's kind of nice thirty Heart much higher <laughs> i think heart should be much higher too i think they're talented and their vocals are amazing and uh everybody still clamors for heart think oh, yeah. about it yeah uh don't know much about 29 booker t and the mgs uh i won't argue too much on that i do know who otis redding is i just don't know enough about the music uh so that could be said. uh 28 i will disagree with this not because i dislike the group it, they're just not good enough to me to be on this list, and that's the Stooges. Uh, I know they're very influential to a lot of stuff. I just don't know if they're the. It's top. just because it's just because Iggy Pop was in the Stooges. That's the reason they need to have a place on here. So they just kind of threw them in the middle right. and said, "This is where they need to be." Uh, Twenty-seven, the Velvet Underground. Again, don't know too much about. It. I know the band. Don't know too much about them. Twenty-six, uh, Parliament Funkadelic. George I think this I, is I think this is a good place for them, but I still would put Blondie above Funkadelic. Well, I put Molly Crew and a ton of them above them. I just I love George Clinton, and you got to think of what he's done. Okay, so George Clinton kind of had his own thing, just like the Deadheads, like the Great. So he has cultivated this. I think he's still alive. I might be wrong, but oh, he is, I think. since the '60s, and kept himself relevant with and again it's a big group of people bands horns reinvented himself appeared in movies in the 90s you know bringing himself you know more notoriety and still had kept touring with his group i uh i mean i'm i'm a type of person who likes all kinds of music pretty much. I even dabble in a couple of country bands that I like, you know, Chris Stapleton and Dolly Parton are two, but Funkadelic is like, you know, we want funk, you know, like that is iconic. And I think one of the reasons I, I agree, this is a nice like middle section for him, his longevity, his ability to keep reinventing himself. And again, he doesn't stray from who he is. He is, he, Still touring with 8,000 people. That's just what he does. Well, you talk about longevity, and 25 is Kiss, and I think they That's should, another one, too, the Kiss Army. They, they should they, be higher, because you can't really think of anything rock or hard rock related to thinking Kiss. They are like the band that just comes to a lot of people's heads like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it doesn't hurt my feelings there at 25, but I think that they, if you're talking about the top 50 American best bands of all time, they should be a bit higher than that. I mean... They have been able to sell out stadiums forever. They have never had a lull, ever. 24, Alice Cooper. Yeah, I'm good with Alice Cooper. I'm good with that. 23, Soundgarden, much higher, should be higher. Mm-hmm. 
uh, they were definitely uh, one of those bands that stood out along with Pearl Jam, but I think that Soundgarden, to me, had a better, better body of work overall than Pearl Jam did. I feel like their, um, their music, again, I know we, we just said like 10 is one of the most amazing, and it is, but... Soundgarden. But they have Bad Motor Finger, Super Unknown. I mean, those two records are just... Uh, no, what, what I was going to say about Soundgarden is I feel like they sounded polished always. Hmm. They sounded like real musicians always. And we, we go back and listen to some of, you know, older cuts of other bands and you're like, hmm, they, they're getting their shit together. But Soundgarden always sounded like they were getting their shit together. You know, Chris Cornell at one point was a drummer for one of his earlier bands. He, you know... Well, you look at Dave Grohl, he was a drummer for Nirvana and then turned out to be a singer-guitarist, so... It's like, I feel like when you have bands like that, and that's one thing I think that the Foo... Again, why the Foo Fighters should be much higher than they are. The longevity, their, the, the musicianship, but the Foo Fighters started out with established strong musicians and you've got Dave Grohl who apparently he's just beloved and has a heart of gold you you don't hear anything you don't hear Dave Grohl is kitten a, hitting a kick, kitten you don't hear that Dave Grohl is is like being sleazy and he's you, you just so but anyway Soundgarden I I feel like the passion of Soundgarden and their ability I mean this is they should be like 11 for me 22, Grateful Dead. I do not like this band, but I don't have a problem to be on the list. They'd probably be lower if I was creating this list, but I understand the impact that they have for a lot of their fans. So Kind of like what we were talking about with the, the Deadheads. Right. 21, The Cars. No problem. Probably a little bit too high compared to some of the other bands I agree. The Cars should flip-flop with Motley Crue. Probably. I think that would be a better spot for them. 20, Leonard Skinner. Good spot. Love this band. 19, The Birds. See, I don't know much about The Birds. I, I know... Like, like, I know some of the songs. I know, I yeah. Just... I only know... To everything turns... You right. know? And, and I, I get it. They're... I, I feel like they should be... Lower. Lower, but maybe somebody who lived through the 60s and 70s might be like this is a, a good spot for them because of their influence in the well, counterculture. Again, we're trying to figure out because we don't know what their criteria is for putting these bands mm-hmm. in here, so that's the thing. Uh, 18's Easy Top belongs, definitely. Uh, I, I feel like they're a little bit high, but the one thing I love about ZZ Top is it's three guys. Yeah. That's it, and they turn three guys into, like, this mammoth sound. Um, but if you say ZZ Top, everybody knows who ZZ Top is. They're right. iconic and they have this these mm, booming sound and these, you know, she's got a mess. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know who ZZ Top is. I would put them below Motley Crue. I, I don't know why I'm going back to Motley Crue, but I just, I feel like sometimes... I agree. I mean, I, I mean, I love ZZ, but like if I'm weighing you know, the band, so like, again, ZZ was popular from like 80 to 85, like big time, but after that, you know, they still put out records, but they weren't as impactful as Molly Crew the, was. The one thing that I, I heard, I think it was Howard Stern, uh, probably 10 years ago, interviewed them on a show, and they were phenomenal. 
and oh, they are. I saw a doc on them. They they were so fucking good. But the interesting thing about them is, even though they they really have hit the highs and lows of music, you know, they they had their highs and their lows, and now they're getting the resurgence with like the whole nostalgia feel. Um, they were telling Howard, like, you know, in the eighties, early nineties, you go and you're playing to an entire stadium, but then in uh you know as we're petering out we're like begging to go and play at a state fair and they said it's it's really sobering and you you kind of really start to open your eyes when you think about like how fast you know things can change and people's tastes and life and etc but it was it was really interesting to hear them. You know, they're talking live on the air with Howard Stern, and they're just very very nice men, very humble. I think they're great musicians, but I do think eighteen is a little high for them. Well, the next band is definitely way too high for me. <laughs> I know you do. I think this is a perfect spot for them. Really, Guns mm-hmm. N' Roses mm-hmm. at seventeen? Mm-hmm. Wow. Absolutely. Don't just think about that Axl Rose. Think about. No, no, I'm not, and I'm not, and I, but I do think that the band is vastly overrated compared to a lot of the other bands during that era. I think you're right. I do think Motley Crue should be higher. But this than goes Guns back to the one thing I'm thinking of because, again, since we don't know the criteria of why these bands are here, and this is gonna, I'm gonna actually contradict myself after I say this: Is Guns N' Roses here simply because? they were just so damn popular during the late 80s or is it because they're actually great writers now they were great musicians they they had a a good span and i think part of it is think about every album they had that is you know you've got appetite for destruction you got use your illusion use your illusion 2 i think part of that is you there Every album, when they were at their peak, was like triple platinum. Right. You know, that that is a hard thing to do. I mean, like, Prince is another one that has done that. Michael Jackson. You got to think of these. They were so huge. They were able, with their, their debut album and then their follow-ups, like the next three albums all went like triple platinum and that's not easy and axel rose really does play the piano all right do you want to fly in the ointment now Uh-oh. to counter this okay so we have guns and roses here okay a band that didn't show up on the list was def leppard and that's a problem <laughs> and you have to remember we talked about this before hysteria when it came out in 87 the band had already written the record for the next one, mm-hmm. but they didn't release it until three years later because, because they were, they were already so touring because they were still so non-stop. popular. They kept putting they out wrote things. it on tour. Yeah, so it's funny to me because you got this band here. Now they they weren't quite they were touring, but they weren't quite selling like Hysteria was. And Def Leppard's another one that that went like double platinum, yeah. like Hysteria did. Yeah. So I am surprised they're left off of this list. That's some bullshit. Now sixteen just doesn't belong, but you know I I figured they were gonna. Well, I should say their early material doesn't belong. You could say later day Metallica works for the rock area, but sixteen is Metallica. I just you're talking about rock bands. They're a metal band, but 
you know, I know this is always going to happen. But they're so ubiquitous now. Everybody knows who Metallica is, even your parents. All right, so now 15, this is where I'm going to get into where we talk about influence versus whether or not they're actually the great. Yeah, I know I'm going to get yelled at for this. 15, the Ramones. Big influence, no doubt about it. I enjoy a good handful of songs from this band. I appreciate everything they've done for the scene, the influence they've had on bands that we love today. If you're asking me if they're one of the best American bands of all time, I would say no. And it's if you're not going to put Def Leppard, but see, isn't Def Leppard like technically from the UK? It's true, they are good catch. So that's my bad. Def Leppard wouldn't belong. Uh, that was my mistake, but it uh, doesn't mean they didn't sell in no, the US. No, but okay, but Def Leppard aside, I mean, because Judas Priest isn't on here either, so no, well, no, they if they, they that's why they stuck the 50 American bands. I appreciate the influence of Ramones. I just, I do not think that they would make my top 50. And that's not like to be negative or anything. I do appreciate the influence. but I think they're a little high. Because I would put Blondie above the Ramones. And it's not just because I adore Blondie. But think about everything that Blondie has done. Crossing all genres. Crossing, like... Well, there's another there's another group in here that I agree with whether in the top fit maybe a little high for me but you went with the Blondie thing and we'll get to it. Fourteen Nirvana. No problem with them being on the list. I know how impactful they were, especially with the grunge era and alternative rock. Uh, they'd probably be a little lower in my mind, not much lower, but they probably wouldn't be near as high as they are right now. Uh, Thirteen the Almond Brothers band. Maybe a high for me. I mean, I don't have a problem being on the list. I think it should be a little bit lower. Yeah. Again, just compared to some of the other acts, we know mm. they're out there. This band, I don't know from 12, Sly and the Family Stone, no idea. You don't know who they are? No. So, the reason that they're... Sly and the Family Stone was, was big in the 60s and 70s. Um, mainly because they were kind of putting it out there with protesting with uh civil rights and um they were good you know if you look at this picture in the article you see you see how like the you know they've got the afros and the hair and the bell bottoms and stuff i think they're a little high too but that again that might be because i'm 40. my mom might be like yeah they were like super impactful for the 60s because she was living the 60s yeah, most of the bands that are coming up now, I don't have a problem being on the list. I just disagree where they're ranked. Um, Eleven is Steely Dan. I definitely think they belong. Uh, just a little bit high for me. Uh, Ten, Simon and Garfunkel, no problems. I, I am, I'm good with Simon and Garfunkel and at this place, too. Maybe, like, a couple, maybe, like, 13, but... It's not just them being them. It's them writing as well. Right. Uh, number nine. No problem with where they are on this list. Eagles. Definitely one of my favorite bands from the 70s. I would put them lower just because I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of the Eagles. And that's only my personal taste. But I have to be cognizant because think about like Glenn Fry and Don Henley. What happened after... Joe Walsh. Oh. Yeah, Joe Walsh. What happened after... The mm -hmm. Eagles. 
so you've got this mammoth band and they're able to, you know, still keep creating and you see how Glenn Fry, Don Henley and Joe Walsh are all still successful. It's, it's like, sometimes it happens where you're like, we're going to split up and do our own thing, but it all sucks. Right. Uh, number eight, this band should be number 50. This is Aria. Hey, <laughs> you motherfucker. You motherfucker. You motherfucker. Uh, I've never been a big fan I'm of theirs. I'm a huge fan of R.E.M. I know that they're very popular, uh, but yeah, they would not be this high on my list. I, I am fine with where they are, because I'm going to give it to, like, when we're thinking about Sly and the Family Stone, we're thinking about, like, Simon and Garfunkel, we got to think, R.E.M. was, I'm trying to think of the right word, the 80s and 90s was... REM's era. They kind of created that college rock sound and on top of that they were able to get popular and I know everybody hates the song Losing My Religion because it's just been outplayed so much and that was Terrible back in song. like 91 when it came out that was shoot myself. a record setting single when I say record setting like Grammys, MTV awards, oh, everything. I was, I was there too. <laughs> so I understand why they put them where they are because we talk about the influence. We talk about like you know creating a new um, style of rock and roll. We 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 think about these things and you know like I said with the Eagles, I get kind of biased because I'm not a big fan of theirs. I only like like songs here and there. But then you have to think you know what has happened with the band and what has happened with the songs the same thing with R.A.M. like if you have something like shiny happy people which is another one that got played out losing my religion if you have a song like that that can just keep going on and on and on and on and on and you have your younger friends and your older friends who recognize the song and then it's a, a record-breaking single like when i say record-breaking when it happened they were like I cannot believe it was like the the video was record breaking the song was record breaking it was just something that that people could not it was right before nirvana remember losing my religion was right before um nirvana like kind of took off big so it was kind of the catalyst now granted i would put nirvana above rem because of their influence on you know the culture and well and, it was two separate things i mean rem was still doing the whole pop rock stuff whereas Nirvana came in and they were just doing a little bit heavier but yeah as far as impact and Nirvana was far more impactful mm -hmm. number seven no problems where they are me either talking heads love this uh, band 150% yeah great band very uh, versatile did a lot of things and this is this is where I felt not only them but Blondie deserved to be higher I than, do too than, because than um, the Ramones because but again, Ramones were very influential, but they weren't like great writers. Like I just, I know it sounds bad, but they just were not great songwriters. They had a certain format and formula that that worked for their punk rock. But Blondie and Talking Heads were doing so many different things. And they all that. started at CBBBs. Right. It, 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 the Talking Heads, I always have a, a soft spot for because I love all their music, and I've done two Talking Heads songs as my uh, pick of the weeks. But I. You know, my grandfather loved the Talking Heads. So when you think of like that, you realize how 
the music speaks to, you know, an older person, too. Number six, No Problems Here, The Doors. Same. Uh, very influential. Uh, I know they, you know, with all the, with the death of Morrison, much like Cobain, they weren't around quite long enough to expand on a lot of their work, but they were just so impactful when they were there, so... The Doors were, um, they were the first, and maybe there, there's other bands, but I guess the first, like, popular band that really was, they pushed back. Mm-hmm. You know, they're Come on, baby, light my fire. Yeah, I'm gonna take you higher. Right. So they stuck to, like, they really did. They had that electric organ sound. It sounded 60s and 70s-ish, but, like, they were not... They were not going to be like how early Beatles were, where they were like, oh, we're going to wear suits and do our thing. It took the Beatles a couple of albums to like really break out and be like, we're, we don't want to be a corporate machine. We're really into... The Doors started out that way. The Doors are like, this is our music. These are our lyrics. This is how it happens. Deal with it. And that's kind of how I think they really gained their popularity. Right. Uh, number five belongs in the list. I just way too high for me. Probably would be better set around twenty to twenty-five. Is Aerosmith? I don't know. I mean, they're still touring, and Steve Tyler is eighty-three. I mean, like. <laughs> well, I'm again. I'm just going by again other bands in the list. I just I'd rank them much higher. Uh, number four, CCR, Creedence Clearwater Revival. I think that's too. very high for them. Very high. Honestly, I think they're more like a 35. Yeah. And it's not because I dislike CCR. I love CCR. Um, I, I understand, though, um, nowadays when we make music, we can be like, fuck you, fuck this, fuck your mother, fuck the government, you know, eat shit and die. CCR was all, they were like the first band not to uh i guess use innuendos right they were out there talking about drugs talking about the vietnam war and saying it publicly instead of like um like bob dylan and um like we were talking about the uh what you call it oh my god not the doors there are a couple back where they were talking about everything turn 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 the the, the um the birds yeah thank you a lot of the things that they would do was kind of like mr tambourine man's about a drug dealer but you know puff the match dragon is about you know smoking weed but they made it into like a fun little song ccr they're like i ain't no senator's son that's how like you know they're literally talking about uh, we have to go to war, and I ain't no senator's son, so I'm going to Vietnam, and your little pussy son has an exemption. Yeah. That, like, and I get why they're put that high, because that is why they became who they are. You know, they may not have gotten a lot of love initially, but... Depending on what the criteria mm -hmm. is. Number three, zero problem with this pick. Uh, zero problem where it's at. Same. Van Halen, uh, clearly influential in so many ways not just with the band but eddie van halen the guitarist who recently passed uh he really even now many guitars reference him as like uh 
uh, mentor and teacher to what they would do later on in life. A lot of great music to go with, a lot of great albums, despite the change up with the singers of rock and semi Hagar and eventually. But they uh, kept going forward. Yeah. That's another thing you have to, and you have to, again, the amount of albums they sold, what they've done with their lives, and you when you say Van Halen, people know who Van Halen are. Number two, no problems. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Large. I think they're a little high, but I, I agree they should be on this list. Uh, number one, I don't really necessarily have a problem with them on the list. I just don't agree with where they're at, and that's the Beach Boys. And I'm going to get to reasons why. Well, I'm going to fight for the Beach Boys being here. And mainly, it has to do with... Um, What's his face? Brian Wilson and his insanity. And um, I feel like, you know, people just hear the Beach Boys. And again, this is during the era where it's like, you always have to be like, everything is awesome. Life is pure. Everything is fine. But what they did with their music and the writing and the production they might be singing, you know, you know, we're gonna have fun, 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 or whatever. But their music, written, said a completely different thing. And, I mean, Pet Sounds was, like, the album. And this was back in 66, right? Right? Am I looking at that right? Yeah. And, um, I feel like... I mean, they reference... Pet Sounds being kind of the influence for Sgt. Pepper. It really was, because remember, Brian <clears throat> Wilson did the same thing that Sgt. Pepper's did before Sgt. Pepper's happened. He brought in an entire group of... Sh and it, there was shit going on. Like, I, I read these articles... Well, Good Vibrations is, like, always my one of my favorite tunes. I just, again, it's just a matter of where they're ranked rather than whether or not they belong. Like, I think they belong. It's just... Because Wilson was an amazing writer. Uh, but look what he took. You you saw that that movie. You saw the documentary too. Mm -hmm. He took a bunch of chaos and bullshit, and he put like fifteen. And this is before there was digital editing. He took and layered like fifteen fucking tracks. There's just like sounds of of noise, and he merged it, and that's how good vibrations happen. Right, because he was got a bit of an orchestra in there. Mm -hmm. Now, okay. I'm going to give you some omissions, and you already know who's already been in the list. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know if we can go through and find out who we take out versus, but maybe we'll just talk about who we should think should be there. So, my little list of bands that are not in there, uh, Steve Miller Band. Yes. Alice in Chains. Mm, I don't feel they're influenced the way, like, because Alice in Chains kind of came out SDP you know, um, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, I feel like they're, like, lower than all of them, so they would be, like, 51 for me. Okay. Sticks. Number one. <laughs> that is a problem. That is a big fucking problem. Sticks not being on this list is the biggest problem I've ever had, ever, with a list. You don't understand my love for Sticks. I've actually purchased records that I already had because I forgot I already had them because it said sticks on it. Sticks is amazing and you want to talk about like 
confusing things. You want to talk about like, uh, you, every album felt a little bit different with Styx. Styx is kind of like King Diamond, my shirt I'm wearing, where maybe they didn't take and do like a story, but every album had its own uh, vibe. Well, I believe Paradise was a Paradise was a concept album. Yeah. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, they're kind of down there with Alice in Chains. Like, I like them, but I don't love them. If okay. That, if that makes any sense. Beck. No. Really? Mm-mm. You don't think he was versatile and kind of like in the mold of talking heads in a sense that the way he no. came out? No? Okay. Rat. That's a problem. <laughs> it's a big problem right there. <laughs> Dave Matthews Band. That's another big problem. I um, I I feel like Rat and Dave Matthews Band are kind of like those people gloss over both of them a lot, and everybody's kind of like, oh, Dave Matthews Band is just like that, you know, uh, whatever sound and it. They they put Rat and Dave Matthews Band when they came out, they were both always kind of like, I don't want to say. But when they came out, I'm not calling them mediocre, so don't don't think I'm... I like them both very much, but Rats Out, but then there's also Motley Crue. So they're always kind of being beaten out by somebody, even though they're really, really good. Well, that's Same a thing funny with thing. Dave Matthews. See, that's a funny thing, because this is, again, all about the criteria. Mm-hmm. Were they basing everything they did on, like, sales? Because if we think about the 80s hard rock era, mm-hmm. obviously... Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses were very popular for that time. Same with Van Halen. Rat was popular, but they, you know, when you think of the 80s hard rock stuff or glam, like even Poison would probably get mentioned more than Rat, and they only really put out two good records. And that's what I'm saying. Poison's not even on there. So, that's the thing. Like I, Rat, to me, I, there, we saw that little uh, doc. It wasn't really a doc. It was the guy that worked for one of the YouTube channels. He did like a whole breakdown of Rat's career. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I agreed with him. The first four records from the band are just top-notch amazing. Like, you really wouldn't think that. Now, most diehard Rat fans will say the same thing we will. Like, yeah, you're right. But every time we talk about the glam rock era, like Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Van Halen, those are always kind of the first ones to pop up. Even Def Leppard, who wasn't American, comes up more often than Rat. And I think that's what ends up happening to Rat is even though they're good, is it's just like they get overshadowed because they have these powerhouses. But they were always like that steady, steadfast, amazing band that just always... They're like your... See, Dave Matthews and Rat, they're your old reliable. We almost used a Dave Matthews band song as our wedding song, but we realized it was eight minutes long and we didn't want to <laughs> dance for eight minutes. So right. then we used P- Peter Gabriel, which was only four and a half minutes. But, right. you know, I... um. I just, I, that's what I feel about Dave Matthews too. Like when he came out, he was really great, but then you have all these other people just, they're the powerhouses that just overshadow him. Well, I think what we'll do next week. All right. So what about, what about Toto? I I saw them mentioned, um, another list and I'm like, I mean, I don't know because I don't know if the, this goes to what I want to do next week. I want you and I to go back, and we're just gonna go. Even so, some of these bands will appear on our list. I want us to make our own top fifty American band list. 
rank them however you want them. It have totals on there, great. But the, the 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 issue that I would have with total is, do they have the amount of content? Like I I know what my criteria is going to be when I do it. I don't know what yours will be. But Toto had some good songs for a short period of time. I just and the other problem for me is I've never sat down with Toto's body of work. I can't sit there and say, yes, this will be a lot of great stuff. Now. That's my own fault because I've actually sat down with a lot of like Beck stuff and enjoyed a lot of his stuff. That's why I even wrote his name on my. The... But see, I also think too, like with, with Toto. If you're gonna put REM on there, and their main accomplishment is losing my religion, you've got Toto. Their one song that is so popular is Africa that everybody covers Africa like. Well, you make a good point because if you're talking about again criteria if it's a short burst from 87 to 91 rem was a big shit like as far as popular music was but concerned. see toto sticks they're still touring and they're not on the list toto's song africa was written what 81 and it's still the shit Right. I mean, like, I love Toto. I love Toto. Love, 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 love Toto. And maybe they're like, just, oh, well, maybe Dave Matthews and Toto are, and Sticks are too poppy. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I also think about, too, like, Grand Funk Railroad. Like, they're, they're like, I feel like they would be number 50. And, you know, you'd kind of work back from there. Like, because they were huge, too. And, and very, like, people look at them and lo also look at like Frank Zappa and stuff like you know like yeah the thing is like when I go to put my list together for next week like I'm gonna have to actually start diving into late 90s and even 2000s rock bands because I'm sure there's some in there that we really like that we just that weren't even mentioned well I also think too part of their I don't I don't I, they didn't say what their criteria was but like part of their criteria is not just right now having a number one hit but like Aerosmith, if you I think, ask, I think influence plays a big yeah. Part like in if it. you ask somebody, like, give me an Aerosmith song, they're gonna be like, uh, "Dream On" or um, "Me." I always loved loving an elevator. Well, I would have been <laughs> curious to see what their total rock package would have been because, you know, you had the Beach Boys, but then we talked about it a few episodes back, the Bee Gees. Mm -hmm, like, but they probably would been UK. They, yeah, but they would have been over oversought because of the disco era like mm -hmm. we but we discovered that they actually have a really good body of work they do so they won't make our top 50 american list but it just it's interesting i i just i i'm very shocked over steve miller rat dave matthews sticks, sticks. <laughs> like sticks is i don't even know how i got into sticks i mean i've been listening to sticks before i met you think so oh i think so my mother likes sticks but you love come sail away <laughs> she can't even say it <laughs> there's a couple of bands like if we would do like all time type stuff i was like i'm clearly this is not of all time because you know you didn't have the beatles mentioned you didn't have pink floyd mention well yeah they again they aren't including... we're just going with american bands and, and... That, and that makes it tough that's why my mistake was bringing Def leopard because mm -hmm. i totally forgot they were an english band so obviously i can't add them in there but it when i saw guns and roses and 
it just thought, I was like, man, you know, Def Leppard was equally as popular back then, so. I have a soft spot for Guns N' Roses, like, I don't. I like them. I, I don't I know just... why. I think it was, like, when I was in the seventh grade, like, those jeans that Axl Rose used to wear, where it was, like, half leather, half denim. But were... the funny thing about Guns N' Roses is, there's no way should they be up there at 17 while Mother Crew sitting at 36. And I agree. I agree Mother with Crew that. was doing everything they were doing long before they were doing it. So that's what kind of cracked me up about the list. And it's not like I'm going to get mad about it because it's all subjective. But the idea is like, you know, you've got Guns N' Roses sitting pretty high on your list. Now, God forbid, they, I'm surprised they didn't put them above Van Halen. That would have probably flipped my lid at that mm-hmm. point. But the thing was, Motley Crue had already been doing kind of that dirty, sleazy rock and roll before Guns N' Roses even got into it. Uh, and was Poison on this list at all? No. So. And I can kind of understand, like, again, it's all about criteria. Like, you know, they had two really good records, but after that, it kind of just became, you know, whatever it was. Uh, but, you know, if you're talking about popularity, like we talked about, you know, if you're thinking of the glam rock, who's the first one you think of? Poison or Rat? It's always going to be Poison. It always is. And I, I feel like Poison's another one of them that are kind of like Motley Crue, where their hijinks are more famous mm-hmm. than their albums. Right. And, you know, you got What's-His-Face, uh, Brett Michaels, uh, you know, he's a reality star now. Okay, what about Twisted Sister? Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing too, like you're. And they're a band that branched from the six or the seventies all the way into the eighties. And I only say that because they are really, especially with some of these counterculture bands that they were pulling from the sixties and seventies, like um, Sly and the Family Stone. They're really talking about their influence on culture, life, etc. Dee Snyder went before Congress. During that whole, like... Well, that's not going to play in the factor. But that's what they were putting into consideration. They even said it with Sly and the Family Stone, with the way that their music was so important. The other interesting thing is you had Alice Cooper in there. Mm Mm-hmm. And no mention of Wasp. (laughs) Yeah, Wasp. Wasp is really... Like, if we're going... If our criteria is strictly on musical talent and not influence on things, you have to, like... I mean, you could add all that in, but, like... I'm sure you're on our, our list is going to be different. Now, part of that's generational, as you said, because some people who are older, like your mom or whoever, remember stuff like the birds more than we will. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, is if I'm thinking, I'd probably bring in longevity, like you know how long they played. Like Nirvana will make my list. I'll say that now. I just don't think they're going to be that high. Uh, and that's not anyone's fault because Cobain did what he did and it's just a sad story but mm-hmm. but Wasp man just like Rat and you know some of these other bands they had some like their first four records are amazing and you know I know they weren't as big but if you're if you're, if you're gonna compare like Alice Cooper who was like one of the first shock rock dudes mm-hmm. Wasp was certainly the 80s version of that and you know they were doing crazy shit so I'm just curious what our list is going to look like. It'd be a lot of fun. I'm also throwing this out there. Like, what about, like, uh, Crosby, uh, Stills and Nash, Nash and Young. Like, think Mm -hmm. about all of that. Like, the amount of music that Neil Young wrote for other bands, too. Mm -hmm. 
I, I just think about that. I know maybe they're a little bit more like country-ish, but they're still like... But they have some classic Classic rock stuff. I... Now, I don't know where groups like Steppenwolf or Foghat American. I can't remember. I think I think Foghat was. Yeah. So yeah, you've got these other, you know, bands out there that weren't even mentioned. Multi platinum rockers. Yeah. Foghat. Yeah. So they're oh wait a minute, no. They're an English oh, Okay, English. American based English rock band. Okay. Gotcha. And uh, what what else did you say? Uh Steppenwolf. Now, granted, he was kind of more of like a one-hit wonder, I think, with Born to be Wild, but... Uh, Magic Carpet Ride? You don't yep. know what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was formed in Los Angeles in 1967, and I, I feel like maybe... It was a Canadian-American band, so maybe uh, they left them off because they had some Canadian members. Yeah, that's probably what it was. So I, I think they're really strictly trying to keep... Mamas and the Papas? Oh, yeah. They're American. Out of L.A. And they they did really... I read a book about them. They now, were... I don't know if they're going to be in my top 50, but, you know, again, it's just one of those things that I bring up because some of these other groups that I've never heard of, I'm like, even if they're influential, you would think you would hear about them enough to say oh okay yeah but uh i mean the list has certainly a good handful of bands that would be in my list no doubt about it so we're gonna have to work on this this week maybe maybe you and i'll sit down like just with a notepad and well i definitely want us to make our own list because i'm curious where you not only where you rank them but the bands that you add like you know whatever they are because i think too like there are bands on here that i agree with but like, again, like Tom Petty at number two, I would put him much lower, even though I like him, but I just don't, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I didn't have a problem with because it's their list, so in my own list, Tom will be there. I just don't know where. It probably won't be near as high. I don't even know who my highest one will be, but certainly it's an interesting thing to do and I'm just curious where we would come up with because, I, I, I do too because you because now the one thing that we have to worry we don't have to worry about it but the one thing is we're not adding other bands so we can't add bands like Rush or Led Zeppelin we have to keep them out of the equation so it makes it that much harder to narrow it down exactly so it'd be a lot of fun we'll, we'll come up with we'll that we'll work with that together you know during the week and we'll figure out um We'll figure out, like, because I, I, I agree, like, Sticks was left out, Toto was left out, Mamas and the Papas was left out, fucking Steve Miller, who I can think of, they're, they're English, really? yeah. English? Okay. Yeah, I was going to freak out for a minute, <laughs> so I like, wait a I minute. think they have at least. They are English. Yeah. Yeah, okay. We'll come up with our list and we'll get that rolling. I mean, not us. all of them are. Right, but, but that's... But it's, it's a, a fusion. It, that's why they left it off. Mm-hmm. I get they're, sick, they're thinking strictly... That's the one criteria they have. They have to be all American. All American. So there is no no Fleetwood Mac. There's no Pink Floyd. There's there's no, like, um, no Genesis. I'm trying to think of other bands that are, like... Yeah, there's so many. Where you've got a few that are... 
I, I, I feel like, too, they did not, um, you made a point, they didn't get very modern. Right. They, yeah, they did. I, I mean, I know it's hard to say, like, if you took a new band in the last 20 years and said they're the greatest of all time, it could be a little misleading because you want to think about bands that have been around for a while. But I'm sure I'm going to find some bands that are of the modern age within the last 20 years that I think would deserve to be on that list. And, uh, I'm actually, I can't actually use it. Never mind. Um, but I mean, I honestly think like train that band has been pumping out hits. You know, all of their songs from fucking commercials. They started in like the mid nineties and they're still like putting out music. Now they'd be like number 50, but they are more modern band right pat monahan is a, an amazing voice right i mean did they mention boston yeah they did boston okay. was in the list okay they just felt they were too low that's were what like it was okay 41 or something i mean i feel like boston is the uh epitome of the 70s sound right so Alright, I'm just trying to think. You're, you you got me you got my little brain working. I wanna <laughs> I wanna try and think of some bands that are a little bit more um what's the word? I don't wanna say current, but let's right. say two thousand to now. So that's still twenty years. Right. Yeah, I mean we're not talking like, you know, last year's band, but you know, there's probably bound to be a band from the late nineties to like two thousand ten that was probably worthy of this discussion in some way. Uh, we just have to kind of dive into it a little bit and see if we can find any that we think are worth now. Granted, we both agree the state of modern rock is really hurting because it's not as good as it it's, used to there's be. There's no so. musical instruments anymore. Right. It's all synthesized. But let's, let's, I mean, I know that's why you bring him back into the fold, even though I don't really care for all of his music. I do appreciate that he has been innovating since he came out in the 90s. Right. All right, let's get back into some let's music. Let's get into the music. Uh, classic stuff from Nuclear Assault and Despair in here, but we're going to kick it off some brand new Ravager. My
Hey everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer. Hey Beak and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. And oh, did I trick Neko this week. <laughs> DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you and uh, kind of piggybacking off of our talk about the TV show Suits a couple episodes ago. Uh, we revisited the movie The Spirit. Mm-hmm. Which stars suit star Gabriel Macht. And uh, based off the comic series, which I know nothing about, but I remember seeing the movie way back when. Uh, a lot of big names in the movie. You have Scarlett Johansson, Eva Mendes, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, just a slew of big names in there. Uh, Neko, I don't think you had seen it at that point, had you? I might have seen, like... Pieces of it, Pieces maybe. of it. And I probably said this is terrible. <laughs> she, I think we were about 20, 30 minutes in. She was like, this is the worst fucking movie I've ever seen. Yeah, and Rotten Tomatoes agrees. <laughs> I think it's got like a 13%. It's something ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know what it is that I... I like about it um uh, it's you just not got, you just got all you know ginned up because you're like oh i forgot gabriel is the lead guy and i love him in suits yeah suit is a well-written series the spirit sucked yeah well uh robert ebert did a review of this movie okay go ahead roger ebert excuse me mm-hmm. and uh this is the way he described it. He gave it a one star, by mm-hmm, the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Spirit, Gabriel Mack... Uh, let me go back to where it actually listed. Uh, okay. The Spirit is a manner to a point of madness. There is not a trace of human emotion in it. To call the characters cardboard is to insult a useful packing material. The movie is all style, style without substance, style whirling in a sense. That's void. what it is. It just there I feel like the director and the producers were trying really hard to make it look a certain way. It well, yeah, and it was directed by the guy that did Frank Miller who did three hundred and Sin City work for both great movies. Uh, and as Roger put it, they just had more 
character build, more uh, stuff set up in him that made him good movies compared to The Spirit. Uh, he felt that, much like I did, actually, that Jackson's character in this is overacting. Like, it's just way over the top. Oh, uh, you're surprised? <laughs> Snakes on a motherfucking plane! Uh... Yeah, the thing you get from this mainly is that, you know, the spirit is Gabriel Mack, who is a former cop who was gunned down and comes back as this almost like the crow type, draven type thing, but he's not putting on face paint or anything. He's putting on a mask. He's working with the law enforcement to try to rid the city of crime. Uh, You know, he had a former relationship with uh, Sansarev, who was played by Eva Mendez when they were children or kids, and uh, she left because she was all in about trying to be rich and materialistic and whatever. She was tired of the city. So San- <clears throat> Sansarev makes her way back, and she's trying to find this golden fleece in a trunk and is in the midst of there's like two trunks. One has an item, uh, the blood of something that Jackson's character, the octopus, is looking for. And of course, the Golden Fleece, which is Sansa Rest's uh, target. So she's got both of them, but Octopus shows up and he's trying to kill her to get the boxes. And it's really campy, all of it is. Um, Campy's a nice word for what it is. But I, I, I kind of agree with Ebert here. In a sense that the characters are kind of lifeless, but I think that's sort of what Miller was going for. The other thing is, and this might be one of the reasons why I like it, is there's just a lot of hot women in it. <laughs> can't, help, uh-huh. can't help it. A lot of hot women in there. Um, they're basically throwaway characters, though, most of them. Um, you got Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Sarah Paulson's in it, who I actually like as an actress. She was in America Horror Story, the series, for quite a few things. Um, we saw her in something else more recently, too, where she was kidnapping a kid or something and trying to... I forget what it was, but it was it was a good movie. Uh, I think it was on Netflix, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. All right, let me see what her, her most recent filmography is. I know she did something based off the... One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest thing, uh, Nurse Ratchet, but we didn't ever... We didn't finish that. We didn't get that started, and we were kind of bored. But she did some movie. Uh, She played, like, an overbearing mom or something. I can't remember what it was, but... Oh, crap! What was it? I don't know. She's a good actress, though. But in this, uh, she's there just as a love interest for the spirit. And Johansson's playing Silken Floss, who is, like, the right-hand woman of... The octopus, Jackson's character. Uh, as Necker pointed out, it is very campy, and it's just so much shit going on. I forget the name of the the guy that they keep cloning. He's like the the peon that Octopus uses to get shit done. Uh, he was one of these guys that I talked about a few weeks back about how he appeared as one of the characters in the uh, Fantasy Island reboot with Malcolm McDowell. He was like the guy who's playing Tattoo's character, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Run. That's it. That was good. Yeah, that's because we knew the director had been talking with uh, Fast Samurai guy a few times. So. Mm-hmm. so yeah, that's why we watched that. It was pretty good. Um, 
there's just a moment in the movie with this which which is kind of funny where Jackson's dressed up in Nazi attire. So we're kind of like, well, okay. <laughs> we have to remember the spirit was a comic strip, right. not a comic book. Right. And it happened, I think, back in the 40s. So I think that they were trying to make it, and, and I read an article while we were watching it, they were trying to make it look like the comic strip. Right. So they were literally pulling scenes from the, the comic cells and trying to recreate it in scenes and I mean this kind of goes back to our um what we were talking about Perdita Dominga that it's got a good substance it has a lot of you know you're pulling from something that's yeah good but it's just not well executed. it's one of those cases where you have all these good actors and actresses and you're just kind of giving them shit direction or shit script and it, it just Again, I only enjoy it for like some of the simplest reasons, but it's not something that I would revisit a lot. Um, but because I am, like as Neko pointed out, uh, Gabriel Mack in the show Suits is fucking amazing as Harvey Specter. Like, that's a great character. Uh, we are so engaged with this series that we were up till 2 a.m. last night watching. We're like, one shit. more. Just one more. Right. It's like crack to us. So. I actually had a dream about Suits last night, and it was like you and I were kind of like in Suits. The Like, it was us, but we were in the story, kind of like. Right. I, I am sad for these actors and actresses that had to do this movie because it was not good at all. Yeah, and it's strange, because like you said, you know, Miller didn't Sin City in 300, he did it right he had even good actors in those movies and it came out fine uh whatever happened here i don't know and i, I don't know at the time and it's you know gabriel mack wasn't really a brand name at the time that's why i didn't remember him from that like i knew the character was there i just didn't know who he was mm -hmm. so when i was looking at his imdb after watching suits i was like oh shit he is in the spirit no kidding. So I felt I think that was part of the reason why I wanted to revisit it because I was like I was curious like how his growth was from that to the series and it's not just the growth but the, the as you said it's the writing and the guy Miller didn't do a very good job of getting him a strong enough script for this. It's visually pretty cool. Uh, it does the things that we like about that kind of stuff, but uh, as far as execution, it's just not very good at all. And with all the great names on it, you would think that it would be fine, but... It wasn't. It wasn't good. It was painful. <laughs> and the thing is, like, you're you're kind of like, oh, I have this soft spot for them. And I'm like, dude, no, I can't. And, <laughs> and you know, people always, and I, I'm just throwing this out there, people always criticize actors and actresses for taking jobs and doing them. I will never, because... We, you know, we, we kind of hold actors and actresses to this, like, high regard all the time. We're like, oh, this is so-and-so, and they're like, you know, they'll never do something terrible and blah, blah, blah. We saw Liam Neeson in the remake of Clash of the Titans, and he's an amazing actor, and it's the worst movie I've ever seen. It is a job for them, too. So if someone approaches you and gives you, you know, pitches you and says... Because these are all actors and actresses that don't need to audition. These are people that get 
Oh, yeah. Y these are people that just I get mean, approached. I mean, this is 2007, so, I mean, by then, Johansson was, you know, just kind of coming into, like, the whole Black Widow thing. Mm -hmm. But she was still kind of a, yeah, a big but, name. but all of these actors and actresses. Because she had done the movie for Coppola. Um, shit. With Bill, with Bill Murray. The one uh, you Lost loved. in Translation. Yes, she had already done that film, so, like. You know, it's not like, she, you know, and even Mendez has been around for a while. And Jackson mm -hmm. been around for a so while. So you have these people who, they've been asking, you know, why would a, an actor or actress knowingly do a terrible movie? First of all, you don't get to see the final production before you start acting in it. Two, it's a job. Like, you and I have a job. Their jobs just kind of last a shorter amount of time, so... If you're saying, hey, here, we got this movie, it, it probably sounded cool. Well, yeah, you and know, that's the thing. Because... Jackson's like, I get to be the octopus? Hell yeah, motherfucker, you right. know. and that you brought it up with Clash of Titans. Like, if Liam Neeson and, uh, God damn it, he's got to play Voldemort. Shit. Um, <laughs> you get these guys that do this they're like well yeah I love the original so I want to be part of this remake reboot because I think it might have a chance to be great because they, they're fans uh, that happens a lot with the comic books like Chris Evans is a big comic book guy mm -hmm. so that's why he's showing up in like the Fantastic Four or Captain America he, he, he's really a big fan of this stuff so but if you don't have the writing behind it well we just saw like the Fantastic Four you know that was a nosedive but like Captain America, not. It was It was just something that kept building and building and building. Well, that's kind of hilarious about that part of it is that the original Fantastic Four uh, that came out with mm -hmm. Evans playing the torch, he mm -hmm. was the best thing about that. And that, that's because he brought that character to life. And, and he was so different. Right. Compared to how he was. And that's how you know he's a good actor. Right. So I feel like these people were given direction in the spirit to be as over the top and comic booky as possible because you even saw how um scarjo was like when she was being the sidekick of the octopus how she was acting she had the cigarette holder she was everybody was talking like big and bold and over the top it looked like a kid's production right you know how like I, the Mickey Mouse Club or something where everybody's like, I am super happy, la la. That's just how it felt. It, it just felt like they were really trying to punch it up. And sometimes campy works, especially with comic books. Like, look at how beloved Batman is and how many times Batman has hit a different uh, kind of atmosphere. You want campy? Look at Adam West. Well, that's the thing. If you like... want dark and scary... You know, look at the the Dark Knight series. If you want perfectly balanced in between campy and dark, you've got the Michael Keaton Batman, where you've got the campiness, but you also have it feeling like a real life action. Like it, it doesn't feel like Adam West feels like a comic book, mm -hmm. and then Michael Keaton. They keep parts of the comic book going because. They'll like make the sets a little well, bit yeah, Keaton bright. Basically, 
you know, Burton made it a little bit darker, but what they did was they kept the cackiness when it came to Nicholson's character with the Joker. Like, but and 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 look at the the background, look at the the set. How especially in in Batman Forever, where they were pulling in the Penguin and stuff. Like, look at those types of things. You mean Batman Returns? Batman Returns. Sorry, but when you hit the the whole you know Dark Knight series, it is gritty and dark, and it. I have to comment on they started a Dark Knight series comic book in the 90s which happened after the Michael Keaton Batman so they were pulling a little bit of that uh, feeling from that comic book but it's you know and then they started introducing like different characters which they put into these new movies but you can do a comic strip and Batman is a perfect example because you see three different like iterations right that were all very successful yeah, I, and, and i know the, the, the actually there was a spirit tv movie that came out in the 80s and i've never seen it but i was reading an article on it and they're like this is way better than the damn yeah like, i never saw it either so i might have to try to hunt that down uh lewis lombardi is the one i was thinking about okay pathos and he only he looked like the only one that was having fun with it. Like he was doing all these clone characters himself, and you know he was the only one that seemed like having fun. The best part about the whole damn movie, because Samuel Jackson he was like a mad scientist, and he was cloning that dude, but he had a head on a foot, okay. and it's like bouncing around, and it's like peeping, it's like me me me. Best like, part of the movie. So damn weird. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that weird? It's. it's it is weird. It's weird, right? Yeah. Right? It's weird. He, he, well, I'm glad someone agrees with me. It's just so weird. I so. um. The one thing though, I I do like about Samuel Jackson, like he's the he's in the spirit, but he's also in Die Hard Three. You know, <laughs> he's also in Pulp Fiction. He's in Snakes on a Plane. Well, that's the thing about Jackson is. I think he just does any movie he's asked to do and he just does not give a fuck he's like well yeah it might succeed it might not who cares he capitalizes on his whole motherfucker thing which he started years ago even going back to coming to america when he played like the guy robbing the place <laughs> so he kind of does almost like danny trejo like danny trejo would do anything because he just loves being in movies and i think that's sort of where jackson is because even when we saw um the the British spy movie, I forget what it was. Uh, he played the villain in that. He was almost as campy as it was in the spirit. And I'm like, man, I just... This Look what... at Samuel Jackson. He wanted to be in Star Wars. Right. Mace but he did very good with that. But that, I think he is... But he didn't he have to be a... over the top with that. But I think he is like a, a movie nerd. He is. You he know, is. I think he is like, I, I, you ask me to be the octopus, I'll be the motherfucking octopus. <laughs> you know, you want me to be Mace Windu? I'll be motherfucking Mace Windu. Like, I feel like he, he is totally into just doing movies. And I, we've seen him do so many different things. I didn't hate him as the octopus. I mean, the movie overall was just, look at Glass. Yeah. Glass. I mean, this isn't a, a negative thing on the actors in the movie. It's just, again, it wasn't really well executed and the script really didn't leave much. I mean, I felt bad for Mac because 
they when Roger Ebert says that the whole like emotional is taken out of it, it was because you have this guy who's one of the comments made in the narrative is that he falls in love with every girl he meets, and it's it's sort of like that, like all these nice looking ladies. I was like, it's like James Bond, right? But yet there's nothing else there. It's just vacant, and it's like if you watch him in suits. Now he's playing a different, entirely different character, but he has more uh, range and more. Uh, he's he, he, you can tell he is different than the spirit right. because he is acting differently. He is totally, and it's probably because he had, he spent nine years doing the character, but he is entrenched in Harvey Specter. Yeah, it just seems like he was just given more to work with. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. the, you can tell the writing is really good on Suits, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, every character in that show is well well done, well acted, well picked. I mean, I I hate that I hate this movie because there's so many great actors, but I hate it. Like, I could, it was almost unwatchable, and I told him he better beware because I'm pulling out. Yeah, she's already promised that next week I have to suffer because I made her suffer through this. So. It's going to be something either that is going to, like, make him cry, which I'm working <laughs> on that one, or it's going to be something he absolutely like, just would never watch. So I'm trying to, like, work through that myself, but I, I have a couple of, of movies pinned down where I think... Yeah, last week when she picked, I, you know, she was going through stuff and I was like, yeah, I'm not really moved for that or that. Finally, she came across The Ring. I was like, okay, let's revisit this. I haven't seen The Ring, like we said last week. I don't think I'm going to have much choice this time coming Mm-mm. around. No, I'm going in, guns blazing, and it is going to be his worst fucking nightmare. Yeah, I'm going to so fucking torture shit out of it, too, if it's so bad. It's not going to be bad. It's going to be really, really fucking good. Yeah, you say that, but, you know, I don't know. We'll see how that fucking goes out. <laughs> Listen, if I had to sit through the spirit... Oh, I'll sit through it. That's that's part of the deal here. But if I don't like it, I'm te- I'm, doing, I'm fucking going all Harvey Specter. I'm fucking torching this shit. Well, it was kind of funny because, like, every week, I op- we, ha- we literally have a DVD vault. I open up the cabinet. It's a beautiful cabinet that... Um, God, we probably even need to invest in a bigger one and sell that one. But we we enjoy buying DVDs. We're probably one of the strange people who everything's on streaming service. Like, no, nah, just stream it. No, we still have vinyl. We still have tapes. We have CDs. We have DVDs. I mean, I, we watch plenty of stuff that's streamed. But, but I the open, whole idea behind this I was... open up the vault. And I, when my last pick, not The Ring, but um, Predator 2. Haven't seen it in a while. Love, I don't know why I love Pre- I love Predator 2. Love it. And I'm just like, you know, pick, 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 pick. And I'm like, what do you think about Predator 2? And he said, really? And I'm like, dude, this is like my favorite Predator. Well, she's, she's been teasing for a while to like pick something out of my horror stuff. Because I don't have like a, a massive amount of horror stuff. But there's stuff in there that like I would sit and watch with but I know already that she just doesn't like it but she's been teasing this idea of like well you know maybe I'll go in here and find something I haven't seen and then she changes her mind well I did that the first time and I'm looking at them and I'm like (laughs) I won't even watch this like there's a movie that I literally had to hunt down to buy and 
I want to have us do a review on it, but I know that she's going to have to be in the right frame of mind to even sit there through it because it's, it's again, it's one of these things that it's very old. Uh, the time period is like 70s or whatever, and it's, you know, it's something that you have to kind of pay attention to, and I know she doesn't always like doing that. If, so, I, lo- if I lose it, because I was losing interest in the spirit, too, so that's when I started, like, re... Which is good, because I like that she does these, like, readings, because even with Perdita Durango, I would have known half the shit about the history of it if she, if she hadn't gone and looked it up, so... That's always a good thing, because it lets us dive into whatever it is we're looking at. And I, I do that because I don't always want to be like, this Super sucks. Negative. yeah. So when I start researching, like, the spirit or Perdita Dominga, I want to understand the story or who directed it or why they decided to do what they did and when you come across these really cool you know interesting articles like the spirit it's 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 as old as superman you know superman was a comic strip so you just see like when something that you know was a pretty cool idea it just didn't get well executed and then when I saw, like, you know, there was a TV movie of the spirit done in the 80s, and it got, like, 7 out of 10 on IMDb, where this is getting, like, torched at 4 out of 10. I I wonder, like, you know, you have all this bigger budget and these great actors and actresses. Like, what? where does it fall short? Well, I think that Miller kind of just... After doing 300 and Sin City said to himself, well, this will this will work because they've liked the last two. And that's the problem. Like, you try to... You become like a one-trick pony at that point. So, if you don't have the script and everything behind it and strong enough character development, it's not going to work. The thing that worked with 300 was, one, uh, your lead actors are, are amazing. And then uh, in Sin City, you had all these big actors, kind of like you had the spirit, but all these big actors... They're doing different roles and they're bringing everything into it that makes the characters strong. So, like, Sin City, you've got uh, Mickey Rourke and uh, Bruce Willis and Jessica Alba and all these people in there, and it works for that. But then you bring try to do the same thing here, but you don't have the character development. Nothing's there. Nothing can breathe. And I think, you know, I thought I think that Frank Miller probably thought he could just pull his same tricks with. With the Sin, visuals. Yeah, with Sin City visuals, because it was, again, Sin City is a comic. The Spirit is a comic strip. He he really wanted to, to pull from exactly what was happening out of the comic strip and, and make you see it come to life. And, you know, l- let's just be honest. Maybe I've never read the comic strip of The Spirit, but it could be just vapid and devoid of any kind of, like anything and they were taking what they had and did the best with what they could and that's why they got all these huge stars to do it and you're thinking well if anybody is talented it's all of these people and that's the thing because these actors you know when we think about stuff like the marvel universe Mm -hmm. or lord of the rings hobbit um harry potter like they see this and they see wow these movies are making a lot of money so it doesn't wouldn't shock me if Jackson and the rest of them said to themselves, "Well, Sin City and Three Hundred did really well, so maybe this will be a big hit for us, and we can get some money." And and think about it from my perspective as you know a nerdy girl. 
growing up, if you would, like, be like, hey, you want to trade Marvel trading cards? It would be like, and I always was, I, I'm, there's nothing cool about me. I've never been cool. So now that these comic books have, you've been able to take them and turn them into blockbusters, I, I feel like they were kind of, because it was kind of on the cusp of the Marvel Cinematic Universe getting, you know, the notoriety it is, you take the spirit after Sin City, et cetera, et cetera, and um, they were probably like, well, if we could take this, we could turn it into that, and it just, it fell short. Yep. Big time. All right, well, coming up, brand new stuff from Macabre Decay, uh, brand new stuff from Bleedscan. Their new track is very awesome. Uh, classic stuff from Repulsion and Deicide, but we're going to kick it off with some classic stuff from Force Religion. This actually, uh, the great thing about Facebook is when it first came out, I was able to connect with a lot of people from my past. Uh, and as Nick has kind of laughed at me at times, uh, people I used to call the doctors. We used to uh -huh. Uh, one of the guys that actually initiated me into the group, oh Sheldon Bear, was the singer of this band that I oh, never got shit. to hear. So uh, I haven't played any of this stuff in a while, but uh, we're going to go ahead and play some Necromancer from Force Religion. And Sheldon, this is for you, buddy.
brand new bleed skin physical redemption. DJ Nubis. Getting ready to close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos, episode 124 on the Metal Tavern Radio podcast. Thank you very much for everyone who tunes in and checks it out. Thanks for the downloads, the likes, and hopefully you're enjoying it all as usual. Yes. <laughs> I think she's done. She's ready to eat. I am. I'm hungry. I'm waiting for my Chinese food. I'm hungry. I had anything to eat all day. Yeah, that's right. She's at Cupcake Place. I bet she ate 20. I did not sample anything at the bakery. Well, I would have. I should have. <laughs> but I, I, this is what happens when I don't eat. You know, I didn't eat anything all day. I go to the Cupcake Place because I'm bringing cupcakes to a baby shower tomorrow. Um, so I, I go crazy. I'm like... One of everything. One. Like this, this, this. Uh, you, you're leaving me one of those cupcakes, right? Which one do you want? The Oreo cookie one. Okay. All right, well, we're going to get out of here because we do have some food coming. And, and uh, we had a really good time and a really good discussion. And, and we just don't want to drag it out. We want you to enjoy our commentary. <laughs> Here's some classic stuff from Exciter. Heavy Metal Maniac. We're maniacs. We are. We're out of here. Thank you all. Thank you. Peace. Peace.